Okay. Well, Miss Sue doesn't have anything, so we're just going to jump into it. Ooh. You guys ready? You guys awake? You doing all right? Good. Hi. You're really getting loved on. That was sweet. I was like, oh my goodness, that was nice. I like that. <laughs> that was good. Wow. Praise God. We're going to dive right into something today. Uh, we better pray. Let's pray for clarity, hearing ears, all kinds of stuff. Amen? Huh? Father, everything. Thank you. <laughs> Jesus' name. <laughs> no, serious. We're going to... Uh, I'm, I'm going to really talk today in light of yesterday just to establish the will of God to heal where it's just undoubtable to you and unquestionable based on the word. I don't have notes. We'll just read scripture. It's just too clear. Okay, so let's just pray. I do have a question here right away from Korea. I want to answer that fits and it'll be helpful. Yes, some lady wrote a question in from Korea. Jen, Jen Kim. Amen. So we're going to answer your question. Father, we just thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your love, your amazing grace, the message you sent through Christ Jesus. Father, you changed everything when you sent the Son, and we just thank you. You brought truth to the earth. Father, everything that man thought about God, everything that man believed about God was made very clear when you sent your Son. Let us see you through Jesus. Let Jesus be the high bar and the standard of our life. And let him be the truth that lives in our hearts. Lord God, we ask you right now for grace and understanding and wisdom. We ask you to teach us and train us according to your word. And we just thank you for putting courage in us and, and boldness to where we're not afraid to believe. And we know we're not being presumptuous because the life of Jesus speaks so loud and clear in our hearts. Lord God, we just thank you. Honestly, Lord, I'm praying that we have room for nothing else but truth through Jesus Christ. And that, Lord God, you would single and narrow our eye down and cause us to really come to know and believe in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, I'll get to this question. Let me make a couple comments. I talked about Job really strong yesterday. Uh, I ran out of time. I just went through Job and was looking at Job in light of New Testament truth, looking at Job in the light. Hey, guys, good to see you, girls. I should say girls. It's all girls. <laughs> and uh, so, so we looked at Job concerning uh, Old Testament, law of sin and death, asking, does the devil need permission to touch you? Uh, we started talking about the phrase, you and I all grew up here, and God allows, God permitted, God allows, God permitted. And we really misunderstand. First of all, uh, well, I shared all that yesterday, so that's all. I won't go into the whole thing there, the Job thing. Uh, but this I will go into. We are in a new covenant, a new testament through Christ Jesus. So here's my point. What's it really matter about the book of Job? <laughs> Except you glean from it how not to react in trial and how to have integrity and 
that there's trials that come to your life and don't take it personal and love not your own life unto death and don't get emotionally confused. So you can follow the pattern. Don't be a friend to somebody like he had friends and said and did the things they say. See, if you look at that story, you can find that we've repeated that story again and again and again in the New Testament in our day. The friends have responded the same to friends. They've said the same exact things. So we have this stuff written for admonition. We have this stuff written so we learn and understand. Some of this stuff in the Old Testament isn't written to show you that it's the way it is. It was the way it was. You have to understand that. In other words, we're in a New Testament. It's a new and living way. Hi, Miss Hannah. How are you? You good? I'm highlighting you today. Hi. <laughs> so, so watch this. People say, yeah, but God, and they quote all these Old Testament scriptures. Yeah, but God in these last days has spoken through his son. Just don't be deceived with that. Jesus is the truth made flesh, made manifest. Amen? So I want you to understand that there's, there's scripture after scripture after scripture we can look at. But, you know, we say stuff about God causing everything. You know, you and I grew up with this. When a bad thing happens, people say, why did God let that happen? I don't know why God did that. What is God doing? It's, it's constant. Your whole life, the whole focus is on God. Jesus comes and exposes the problem. He exposes unbelief. He exposes man's fear and worry. He exposes the devil and his job description. And then he makes it real clear that he's the giver of life. And he's the way. He's the truth. And he makes it real clear that he came for life and life even more. And we're still wondering why God took somebody. <laughs> it's like, what are we doing? Come on, he made it really clear. And we have to be really careful because what happens is Satan loves to direct your issue to God and get your eyes off of him. And make your beef with the Lord. When you have authority to stand in faith, to rebuke, to bind, to loose, to pray and believe and receive, how many things? All things, whatever you ask in prayer, believing. Now you find a limitation for me in that. <laughs> Come on, all things, whatever you ask in prayer, believing. It's Matthew 21, verse 22. All things, whatever you ask in prayer, believing, shall be done. It doesn't say, unless, of course, God has sover sovereignly chose to not do it. <laughs> unless, of course, God said, I think I might change my mind. And it doesn't, unless, of course, at the time God deems that it's just not the best thing. No, of course you have to be in Him. You have to be surrendered and submitted. The Bible says there's two times you don't receive what you're praying for. When faith isn't there and when it's amiss your own lust and desire. That's the only two things that the Bible teaches are unanswered prayer issues. Absence of faith and omiss your own lust and desire. It's the only two things. 
So that makes it pretty clear. So I want to grow in a revelation. I don't want to pray because I'm desperate. I don't want to pray because I'm driven by need. I don't want to pray because I'm selfish. I don't want to pray because I'm worried and concerned and fearful. I want to pray because I'm in love with God and in covenant with God. And my hearts are bursting with faith because I see who he is. I see his nature. I see his character. I see his will. And it's easy to believe in that place because I know who he is in this situation. But when we're constantly answering questions, why God and how God, we've revealed to ourselves, to the enemy, to everything around that we really don't know God. But we have a lot of need. So we pray a lot. (laughs) But why does prayer mean we have faith? Just because you prayed, why does that mean we have faith? People pray for a million reasons. It might not have anything to do with faith. Are you following me? Are you guys all right? Are you awake? Okay, good. (laughs) You're all just sitting there, almost expressionless. (laughs) My wife asked me if I was going to be okay today. I said, oh, I'll be okay. I slept three hours. And uh, she said, are you going to be awake? And I teased her. I said, I'll preach with one eye closed for a while, and then I'll take turns. I'll close this I said, in three hours, I'll get an hour and a half sleep during the class. <laughs> but I'm going to keep both eyes open. I'm feeling pretty happy, okay? And I'll be pumped. I don't know about you, but I'm excited that Jesus came as the Word and lived. Because that's the truth. Jesus' life on the earth lived is the word made manifest. Come on. The word, right? He was made manifest. He, 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 God gave his word. He dwelt among us. So I have to find God through Jesus, through the life of Jesus. I can't even see God unless I look through Jesus. I'll come up with something. You follow me? See, we think that we think that things that happen are somehow we grow up with this idea that things that happen are always orchestrated by God or God is is divinely in control of the circumstance when he put the earth and the authority of his name in the hands of men. That's amazing. The earth he gave to the children of men. He told us to go ye therefore. To go in the power of his name. He says in Matthew 28 that all authority was given to him. But yet he told us in Luke 10. I give you that authority. Now you go in it. We have this idea that everything that happens is somehow. Approved divinely ordained by God. And there's preachers that will preach that with passion and say anything else is heresy. That's true. They will say anything else is heresy. But the problem with that teaching is it takes the privilege of faith off of you and diligence and discipleship. And all of a sudden, whatever will be, will be. And you're not even motivated to seek God for a deeper revelation because, hey, God will just do what God does. But then when things are getting run over, you can't have a real good impression of God and you're not real sure about God and you can't even be intimate with God because you're confused about Him. See, if the Bible says we're destroyed for the lack of knowledge and that He gives the knowledge and yet 
Israel, he gave knowledge and it rejected that knowledge. We have to make sure we don't. The Bible says they had the gospel also, but it didn't profit them because they didn't mix it by faith. What does that have to do with the will of God? The will of God is that they had the gospel and that they lived by faith. The will of God is that you're born again. The Bible teaches that. Is everybody born again? Oops, it's the will of God. It's the will of God that every man is filled with the knowledge of truth. You can find that in Timothy, the book of Timothy. Is everybody filled with the knowledge of truth? Oops, it's the will of God. God takes no no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that they might come to repent. Does everybody repent? Does God want everybody to repent? Does everybody repent? Wow. So maybe God isn't saying, okay, you're going to live, you're going to die. You're going to get saved and go to heaven. You're going to go to hell and burn. If that was true, where would there be a judgment? Why is there a judgment? Come on. See, we don't think about this stuff. We just grow up hearing and we just kind of go into the flow of what we heard our whole life. And if you get in this book, you'll see that we've been scammed big time because Satan is freaked out of the finished work of Christ. He is so afraid that one day you'll see what he already knows. He's afraid that you'll see what you've become and that you'll figure it out. Yeah, that's what he's afraid of. (laughs) He's really afraid that one day you'll know. He's going, oh my God, if she sees it, I'm finished. You have a comment back there? I understand what you're saying, but but if you really read these scriptures, like. Does, does God, does the scripture say that God just chose Pharaoh for destruction, harden his heart? Or does he play the odds? Does he, does he know what Pharaoh's going to do? God's omniscient. So God knows a man that will harden his heart. So he raises him up. He said, I raised you up. So he's the one in position for my power. Why? Because he's not going to repent. And he has somebody in that position to not repent. Do you think that he creates Pharaoh totally for destruction from the beginning or Pharaoh sets his heart in a hard place against God. See, the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever. Do you understand? It says that some vessels are made for honor and some dishonor. However, the latter can be changed. God uses things for his purpose that he can work with. God actually doesn't have favorites, but he plays favorites. There's people in position to do his will, and he passes over people that are rebelling and not doing it. So it falls on somebody else. He'll he'll drop a mantle. He could have a a mantle on your neighbor, Miss Vicky, and they just resist, resist, and finally he says, well, I'll just give it to Vicky. She's already running with this, but she'll run with this too. And right now I need her. He'll play favorites. He'll, He'll move through who he can as they're available. So God plays favorites, but he doesn't have favorites. He loves you. 
See, that's all part of the sovereignty of God. I just sat and I, I just read Romans on the airplane, Romans 9, and just read it. I get a lot of questions about Romans 9. You read Romans 9, you read, you read 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. You can understand what he's saying. You can begin to understand what he's saying. You know, you, you have to be careful when you... You have to study out words. It says he loved Jacob and hated Esau. It, it, it means he accepted and rejected it, it doesn't mean that Esau was cut off from God's favor or mercy in any way. What, what he did was he, he chose Jacob in that line. He, he chose the younger instead of the older. Look at Esau. Do you think God saw Esau? It actually calls Esau a profane person. Profane means godless. Do you think God sees and knows where a man lets his heart drift? He gave up his birthright and inheritance for a meal. Is, did God make him that way or did he choose to do that? Does God see all that ahead of time and, and pick Jacob over Esau because of where Esau's heart drifts through the course of life? See, don't you believe that God went and made Esau that way? Then he's creating people for hell. He's creating people for his image and he's wooing hearts. He says to Cain, he comes to Cain in the beginning and says, Man, what's up with you? Why are you so disgruntled? Don't you know that sin is crouching at the door and it wants to, it wants to overtake you, but you should master over it. And he says, whatever, and kill, and, right? And kills Abel. Does he have a chance to repent? Does God give him an opportunity to change his mind? Do people have second guesses in their life and do something anyway? Do Christians that even mean well at times do the wrong thing knowing it and having a heads up in their conscience before they do it? Did God, is that God? Does God have anything to do with that? He can or there wouldn't be a judgment. You follow me? He plays cards. He, he plays his hand. He, he can use things for his purpose. I understand that. But people are in position to be used that way. God doesn't work you for darkness. He doesn't subcontract you and hire you for darkness. He's a God of light and there's no darkness in him. He doesn't call you to repentance and salvation and then orchestrate and design for your life iniquity and the role of a villain. Come on, we have to be very careful about that. Very careful. You have to look at the big picture. You can't even take a Romans 9 and just read it without looking at the Word of God and the big picture of life through Christ and mercy and grace and salvation. See, these, these sections of Scripture that sometimes are difficult to understand if you just read that. See, we build whole doctrines on those one little paragraphs and we have a whole Word of God that reveals truth. And, we, and people, people they, they come up... When you talk about healing... People know that Paul left Trophus along the road or along the way on his way to Miletus. People know that Trophus was sick and they say, well, what about Trophus? Well, Paul couldn't heal him. Well, Paul couldn't heal him. Why do we think we could? Because Paul was close to Jesus. 
It's all the time. They know those couple little things. Well, why did he tell Timothy to drink a little wine? His belly was infirmed. And, and he, why didn't he just pray for him and get him healed of healings? And it's contentious and it's cynical. And it's like as if Paul's the revelation. Jesus is the revelation. To assume and say, well, if Paul couldn't heal him, then why can we? Paul's the one that wrote that we ought to press in and pursue. And Paul also in Philippians cried out and said, Oh, that I might know him. Well, I thought Paul did know him. Well, he does. Why is he crying out for more? Because he's letting Trophus along the road on the way to Maltus and his mind's spinning and he's saying, God, I need you more. Because he's praying for Timothy and he's still sick and he's a beloved son in the faith and it's perplexing him. And he says, oh, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection. Why? So he doesn't have to tell Timothy to drink wine because Timothy's fine. Come on. <laughs> we better get in the Word and study and show ourselves approved and stop being snap judgment and presumptuous like fallen man. <laughs> Come on. The Bible makes this thing so clear. You got, Paul's not your standard. Paul said, only follow me as I follow Christ. What I am, I am by the grace of God. Abundant revelations were given to him by the Lord. But who knows Jesus is still Lord and his life is who we're following. But if we're building a doctrine on Paul's failures, we're going to be deceived and miss Christ's success. Come on. I've just heard it all because of what I preach and live. I've had people ask me all the same questions. And it's always the Paul's thorn, the road to Miles, Maltus, and Timothy's belly. And it's the three things people pull out. And we got a whole gospel full of hope and faith. And they pull those three things out. Paul's thorn is one of the most mispreached, tragic, awful, terrible things in the body of Christ. It's about as bad as Job. Because we miss Christ when we're so fixed on Job. People say, what about Job? Well, what about Jesus? Yeah, but what about Job? What about Jesus? <laughs> it, says, it says, this is my beloved son on the Mount of Transfiguration. Hear him. Who are we to hear? Yeah. He's got Moses and Elisha standing there. And they disappear. Peter wants to build a tabernacle for each. And he says, no, just hear Jesus. Because they all were pointing to him anyhow. Don't miss the point. They were all pointing to him. He's here. So just follow Jesus now. And then he affirms it in Hebrews 1 and says, In the former days, God spoke to the prophets, to the fathers, through the prophets. But in these last days, he has. He has. That means he set the record straight. He has spoken. I understand God's still speaking. But in the last days, he has spoken through his son. So if he's still speaking, is he speaking apart from his son? Whoa. So let's not say what about Job. Let's say what about Jesus. Watch this. Okay. Even if God gave a permission slip to the devil and gave permission to hammer Job, it's got to be different now anyway because Christ has come. Yay. 
So why are we finding a cop-out to not have faith, press in and believe, pushing it all over on the shoulders of God, instead of growing up into Him in all things and being diligent and carrying and stewarding this great grace of the gospel? Because these comments we make are an out. They're an out for us. And it's just too easy to sit back as human flesh and say, well, see. Well, yeah, well, we'll see if they're healed. Well, see, told you it's not. Well, if it's well, God, why won't they heal when you pray? That's contentious. That person actually needs born again and doesn't even realize it. I'm serious. That's contention. That's, that's, that's animosity. That's a heart that you'll never find in the king. Probably ought to get a new one. <laughs> it's just true. It's just we don't even realize it. It's just like... You get caught up in that stuff and, 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 and you're, you think you're defending something. It says in the last days, people are going to kill people and think they're doing God a favor. When murder isn't in the nature of God. But all of a sudden, they'll kill you and take the initiative to play God, so to speak. But be so confused in their perspective, but they're justified. Because their perspective is so confused. Think about it. It's amazing. We covered the yes and amen yesterday. Remember 2 Corinthians? Every promise. How many promises? All are yes and what? Does he forgive all your sins and heal all your diseases? Even in the Old Testament, he made sure people still understood he was Jehovah Rapha. They still had a pool that stirred and the angel came in. It was just keeping people alive in a healing covenant until Christ came. He's the stirred water. <laughs> <laughs> He's the stirred water. <laughs> See, we 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 don't we're very we're very snappy on this topic and we don't study and show ourselves the proved. Like people say, here's another one I've heard. Well, he went to the pool. Why didn't he just heal? There's five porches of sick. If Jesus wanted to heal all, you have to remember he's only healed one and there was five porches of sick. And pastors use that phrase to teach the sovereignty of God in healing and the hand choice of God. I've heard the messages. And they ought to read the next two verses in the chapter and then they'd throw their notes away. How, see, that sounds arrogant to people when I talk like that. It sounds, you know presumptuous or something no I've read the book it's too clear the only reason he didn't heal the five porches what do you think would have happened on the five porches when the man 38 years sick got up and they'd all cried out Jesus son of David have mercy on thee what would have happened to the five porches show me one person that called out on his name that didn't get healed show me one but here's what happened it said the man went through the temple and they said why are you carrying your mat on the Sabbath hey it's the Sabbath he said, the man that healed me, the man that healed me, he didn't even know what happened. 38 years sick, Jesus healed him because of Jesus' revelation. The man didn't even know who Jesus was. And 38 years of sickness left because Jesus knows who he is. That's a good point right there. So he goes up to the man and says, take your mat and walk. And the guy gets up, 38 years sick, he can't get in the water. Nobody will help him in because every man's for himself. The Pharisees won't help him in because they're religious. The people all want healed themselves. They don't care if he's laying there 20, 30, 40 years. As long as I get healed, praise God. And they're on their way. You think anybody would take the time and say, don't anybody get in the water. This man's been here longer than any of us. Let's lift him in the next time it stirs. Do you think one person? No, because the earth is bankrupt of love. 
And needs driven in every man for himself. And we ought to learn from that and look at a store like that and say, Man, I better prefer others more than myself, consider others more highly than myself. And even though I have the right to be called a son of God, I ought to make myself of no reputation because that's the mind of Christ, Philippians 2. We're needs driven and don't admit it. And, and they wouldn't even help. Why? Because they're bankrupt of love. This is all about becoming love. So Jesus comes and he's love. He walks up to the guy. Why do you think he went to that man? Because he was a victim of a loveless scenario. And Jesus walks up to that man and says, Do you want to be healed? It sounds like the wrong question to ask a man laying by a pool, 38 years sick. You think he'd have said, You wise guy, what do you mean do I want to get healed? I can't get in the water! <laughs> do I want to be healed? It sounds like the wrong question to ask. Of course I want to be healed. Are you some kind of idiot? No, he didn't do that. He said, sir. He said, see, do you think Jesus knew? Do you think he knew what he was doing? You know what he was saying? He was making a draw of this guy's heart. You know what the guy's answer really was saying? I have no one to help me. I'm all alone. And there's no one to help. And Jesus is going, oh, you're not alone. I'm here. I'll help you. Sir, take your bed. Never said uh, here's my card. I'll be on the earth for another year and a half or so. And uh, God's really working through me and we have a great ministry happening here. In fact, I got 12 guys we're running with. and Make all your donations to Christ's ministry. And... He didn't blow a trumpet. We're messing up today, ain't we? He didn't blow a trumpet and introduce himself. He just helped the guy. He didn't, even, he didn't even try to find if he believed in Jesus. He just said, you know, this guy needs help. I wonder if we get to that place where we see people just need help and we learn that the help is inside of us. That we could take somebody's hand and things can change because we understand the heart and will of God through the life of of Jesus Christ. So preachers say, well, he only healed one. I, I heard a preacher say to me, you know, you need to be careful about this preaching just as you go and everybody you see sick is a green light and you can just, because Jesus isn't like that. You have to be led by the Spirit. And, and, and Jesus only prayed for one at the porches. And it sounds right to people. But it says when they asked the man, who, t who healed you? Who told you to carry your mat? It said, the man could answer not, for he knew not. For Jesus had withdrew himself because of the crowds. There's such a high hysteria when a man 38 years lame can't get in the pool and a man walks up and says, take your bed. And the guy just stands up and he's not even in the stirring water. Now things right. Jesus was under the pressure. It said he had to slip away several times in the New Testament because they were pursuing him to make him king. Jesus told people, now listen, don't tell anybody I did this. And they'd go right out and do what? So everything that he says not to do, people seem to do. And everything he says to do, people seem not to do. Sound familiar? <laughs> Whoa! They say he had to take the man 
when he prayed for his blind eyes out of the city, people teach this, to get him away from all the people's unbelief. What are we doing? It, it shows us over and over that he told people, don't tell anybody. Hey, come here. It's personal. There's an intimate message there. Jesus is for you. Do you think the unbelief of the city can stop his love for an individual? Who cares if the whole room doesn't believe? They didn't believe or know when Lazarus raised from the dead. And how many times were they even on page anyway? He takes him out of the city because he's avoiding the woohoo of making him natural king because they didn't understand. Probably the reason Judas betrayed him in the end because he realized he wasn't going to sit on the throne. Probably. Probably the reason the people are one minute throwing down palm branches, they're not schizophrenic. They think he's going to be their king. And when they realize he's not pursuing that and he's talking on a spiritual level, they want, they want it now. How do you welcome him with open arms and three days later cry out for Barabbas? Because your expectations got failed. And Satan was right when he talked about men and said, if you don't get what you want from God, you'll curse him. How many people are mad at God because life hasn't gone the way they needed it? How many people are blaming God for their circumstances? How many people do you meet and try to talk to about God and they have issues on their shoulders? To Almighty God, forgetting we're the clay, He's the potter. Presumptuous and proudful and listening to the wrong voice and set against the one so lovely. It's amazing, isn't it? Come on, I'm just pouring out my heart a little bit. This feels good and healthy to me. Because I'll tell you what, we talk really shallow and quick on things. I had a pastor one time say, well, Dan, uh, you keep preaching on this healing. I actually have had probably 10, 10 pastors say this, but I had one really emphatic. And he just, he looked at me when I answered him and he just, he didn't understand. And I'm not belittling him. I'm saying we're not seeing very deep sometimes or profound in the sense of what's there. He said, why pursue all this healing? Because you got to die of something. And I'm like, what is that? What causes us to be like that? I'm like, help us, God. And I'm not demeaning people. I'm saying there's something that allows us to think so natural, so human. Where does it say that you have to die from sickness? Where does it say that if you die, it's because your body had to fail or you had to have a heart attack or lung disease or why can't you run your course and go to sleep like the Bible says and they, go, they went to sleep? Why can't you just go to bed at night and not wake up but be in Him? Why do you have to have your body eaten away and broken down and cancer all through you and your heart blow up? Just because that's man's experience, now we think that's how we die. So people say, well, why keep praying for the sick? Because they got to die of something. Look how weird that is in the sense of Jesus paying the price to remove his transgressions. He's bruised for our transgressions. He carried our grief, our sorrow, our pain, our sickness. By his stripes we're healed. He's the redemption of man. He forgave sin and took the effects of sin from us. 
And now God has to subcontract those same things so we can die? When He came to give us life? When He told us to raise the dead? Come on! I'm not trying to belittle people. I'm trying to belittle the mindset. The thought pattern. Trying to smash it so you never embrace it again. What do you mean you have to die of something? That's just opening your life as a stamp and a target for infirmity. You're in position for something to attach to you. We say, yeah, brother, but I'm not getting any younger. You're in the kingdom. What does that mean? Yeah, but I'm 60. What is 60 in the kingdom? What is 60 in Christ? Somebody help me with this, because I hear this language in the body of Christ almost daily. Yeah, but I'm not getting any younger. You're eternal. You have everlasting life. Yes, but my body. I understand your body's running its course, but where does it say it has to break down and be filled with disease now that Christ has come? Why can't it carry you to the finish line, fulfill all the will of God, and then rest in Him? Why not? See, we don't understand that we're expecting things as we age. So we don't have the faith to really combat them. We're just driven by the inconvenience of them. So we pray because it sure is miserable to have arthritis everywhere. Sure is miserable to not feel the cartilage that used to be there. And it sure is hard to go up the steps, God help me. But we're expecting that to be our condition because of our age. So there's really no faith and aggression to be healed because it's everybody's scenario. And I'm not being arrogant and proud, but I'm going to be a living epistle on this topic. I promise you I am. People say, you run too much. You go blow out your knees running. God made my knees. Where did we get the idea that running wears them out? He told me to run and run hard and fast. Where, where do we get this stuff? Just because it's happened to men through the fall. So we define a fallen man and his anatomy and believe it's our created value. We say, well, the body's this and the body's that. That is not what Adam was before the tree. You're not selling it to me. Come on, I'm 49. I get things in the mail. You are now over 40. You need to have this checked and this checked and you are more subject to this than ever before. And if you're not careful, you're in fear and you're praying because you're 49. I laugh. I roll that stuff up in a ball and I say, God, I thank you for the gospel. If it wasn't for the gospel, I'd probably die. And I giggle and I lift my hands and worship Jesus and I throw the thing in the garbage. And I worship him because I believe. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I, feel, I don't feel like I slept three hours. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel pretty bold, but I'm serious. It's faith. It's not presumption. It's not all this confession because I'm worried and I'm trying to say the right things to get the right things. What about just believing? What about understanding? It's all about first Adam, second Adam. The second Adam removed the first Adam.
The second Adam got us back before the first Adam made a big mistake. Keep it that simple. Anything else isn't truth. Ah, you get it? Come on, if you don't believe this way, how are you going to ever pray and have faith? You're just going to pray and have need. We are driven 99.9% .9 of the time to pray because we have need. We don't pray because we have faith. We, have, we pray because the Bible gives us the right to because we read what it says. <laughs> Come on, I'm being real straight. Most of the time, that's what happens. We've been well taught and we got all the scriptures on sheets. We got them on our refrigerator. We got them in books, scriptures on healing. So we're reading and we're quoting them as if it's our right, birthright. And we talk about a birthright inheritance. And we're just trying to seize something to get help rather than believe his love and his will for us. If we'd ever see how amazingly good God is in the sending of his son, faith is an automatic response. He is so for me. Twice I was jogging in 16 years. Twice, two times. And it felt like my knee blew out while I was jogging. It's funny, one time was right after somebody told me, you shouldn't run so much, you're going to wear out your knees. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you, sometimes you just, you just smile and keep walking. Because they're Christian people. And people think you're proud if you're hypo-spiritual, if you have a different belief. So isn't it funny that right after that, my knee goes, boom, while I'm running. And you know what I do? I keep on running hard and it hurt bad and it was real <gasps> father I thank you you never made my knees to break I thank you father I'm before the fall of man God I thank you for it and as I'm running I'm about 10 strides into this pop and pain and whoop and now I'm like the Rocky movie because <sighs> yeah, I'd have no pain and I'm running harder than before the second time it happened was on Zarfoss Road and I pulled up lame it hurt so bad it just something it felt like something snapped and I went Whoo, pulled up lame and I, and I was praying and I just put my hands on my knee knee you will not break down you have no right nor permission it's not even in your created value God made you to work and function and serve me all the days of my life knee you will be strong I looked up and I took off running and the first four or five steps were very seriously challenging and that's where your head spins but you just keep taking that step because all of a sudden, and see, we don't teach that stuff because then people will try that and hurt themselves rather than believe that. <laughs> Did you catch that? I don't share. If I'd share my personal testimony, some of them would freak you out because I live a certain way because I'm not afraid. It's never about my well-being. It's about knowing him. We are so pampered. We are so in love with ourselves and some of us are still trying to find ourselves, but we sure covet our flesh. <laughs> wonder if you'd ever let that thing die and get a hold of him. <laughs> See, you can't teach this kind of stuff usually because then people say, well, Dan did it. I'll try it. It worked for him. He's not partial. He'll... And then you're trying something as a method again. And then you say, why well, didn't this work for me? Or, well, you said you did this. I tried it and I got hurt. It's not something I tried, it's something I believed. And about the sixth step in, my knee just went and was strong as could be. And that's how I live every day of my life. It's amazing, it's just fun. I run about six miles a day and I run hard. I'm right now at about six and a half minute miles just cruising, having a ball. But you're 49. 
whatever. <laughs> I don't know what that means in the kingdom. And you can't sell it to me. You just can't. So, wow. I don't know. If I got this story bombarding my mind. I'm trying to fight it off. It's one of them scary stories that you don't teach because people try to do it. But I qualify that now. The stories bombard me, and I think I'm supposed to share it because of a principle. Help me, Jesus. It's not going away. I'll share it. You all right? We'll share a story. I'm saved three days. My marriage in the natural is a wreck. My wife is sure she hates me. Three days before, I was sure I hated her. Now Jesus came into my heart and I knew I loved her. That's amazing. (laughs) But I wasn't desperate and I wasn't trying to get her back. I was enjoying Jesus. A week or two before I got saved, I woke up one morning practically paralyzed in bed. I had so much pain in my body. It was aching in my back and stuff. I didn't know what was going on. My daughter was standing by my bed, 10 years old, saying, Daddy, my wife was away. She said, Daddy, Daddy. And I'm like, I was so in pain and moaning and wincing and rolling around the bed. I didn't know she was there and I heard her little voice and it was real early in the morning. It was probably still dark and I said, yes, honey. She said, are you okay? I said, no. And I had to call my uh, father-in-law and mother-in-law. And I didn't know what was going on. And here I had a kidney stone. Oh, it was bad. They say it's like the closest pain that a man can experience compared to a woman giving birth. But I had way worse pain than a kidney stone through the witchcraft stuff. Wouldn't trade any of it in for nothing. I'm so glad I went through it all. I know that sounds wild to people, but I wouldn't trade none of that in. It made me like I am. <laughs> See, he came real violent to destroy me. <laughs> I wonder if he didn't. <laughs> wonder if one, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Are you following me? You see, we so dread and fear that stuff. We're so trying to pamper and protect ourselves and shield ourselves and use the gospel to live in a bubble that it makes us easy targets. We think it's about having no adversity. It's about knowing him in the face of it because that's how you'll know him more. I wouldn't trade one of those experiences in for nothing. They were way too valuable. Oh, they taught me so much. But here's one right out of the gate. So I go, and they check me out. <laughs> I wake up. I'm, my, my poor father-in-law, he drives over and picks me up. He had kidney issues as a young man, and he knew what it was like. So he got out of bed and raced to get me. He's helping me. He's laying down his life. It's getting daylight. He's laying down his life. My mother-in-law's watching the kids. They called Kim. She was out of town and told her what happened to me. And she said, she told me she was so happy. She was like, good, I hope he's hurting good. I hope it hurts even more. She said she was so bitter. She was like, ha, ha, ha. She said she ate it up that I was in trouble. And I said, oh, my goodness. And, uh, but I remember my father-in-law's driving to the hospital, and I'm like, I'm like, can't you drive any faster? Don't you know I'm hurting? Come on. And he said, Dan, I'm driving as fast as I can. Just get me there. Would you just get me there? 
I was that bad and I wasn't saved. Later, I was like, oh, I felt so bad. I he said, you don't need to apologize. I would have treated you that way when I had my kidney stuff. It was that bad. So I wake up. I'm in an emergency cubicle. I got a catheter thing in. I know this is one of them TMI things, but I, I don't know what's going on. I still don't know what's going on because I'm passing out. And they gave me this pain stuff and I just kind of crashed. It was pretty serious. And I'm looking at, I got this catheter. I thought, oh my God, I got a catheter. You know how they go down into the bags? I looked at the bag. It looked like somebody poured a can of tomato juice in there, right? And I'm like, that's coming out of me? I'm thinking I'm dying. I'm thinking my body's been eaten up inside. It's just a kidney stone. It's, but it's big, like really big. They had already ultrasounded it and they came and told me and they said look we're just going to give you this we're going to set you up with this appointment over at Apple Hill da 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 but they said this thing is big like big <laughs> and I'm thinking how big can it be they said too big to pass and if it rolls any further it's going to block your urethra tube or whatever it is going down into your bladder whatever tube that is I'm not an anatomy guy but some of you know there's a tube coming out of your kidney into your bladder Right? And then out, right? The, the stone, the stone was sitting there at the mouth of that tube. They said it was really big, like way bigger than the mouth of the tube, way bigger. And they said, that's a problem because if it settles there, it'll block all the flow of my kidney and back into my body so that they were going to have to do a surgery. I don't know why they do stuff where they and break it and stuff. They, nobody even suggested that. I go to the doctor. I'm not saved. The doctor says, we need to make an appointment. And you take it real easy till then. And we're going to make an appointment uh, for you. And I said, well, what are you going to do? Do you break this thing up? He said, no, we can't. And there was a reason. I don't remember. But he said, <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> you girls don't understand. He said, we're going to go from the outside in. We're going to take a wire with a claw on it. We're going to go up through your body, grab it real tight, and pull it out. I said, huh? <laughs> Every man in the room feels compassion for me in that moment. <laughs> yeah, look at your eyes, dude. It would not be a good day, right? I said, you're going to, I said, you're going to what? I already lost my voice. You're going to what? He said, we're going to go up. What? No. So I have this appointment scheduled. In the meantime, I go to work and Jesus saves me. Three days later, I called a pastor in the area. Pastor Jack Cashman. Some of you might know who he, he had passed a little while back. I called Pastor Jack Cashman because my aunt went to his church. I told him my experience on Sunday night. And it was Tuesday. I called and told him my experience. And I was looking to get into a church. I hadn't been in a church for eight years. But I was pouring out my heart. And he said, man, you haven't been in church for eight years. He said, you're talking so clear. You must have really got a revelation. I said, sir. My life will never be the same. I'm transformed. Jesus is Lord. Whoa, he's alive. He's like, wow, I'd like to meet you. You had some encounter. He said, can you come in Wednesday morning, tomorrow morning? I said, well, 
I would like to, but I have a surgery schedule. He said, for what? And I told him, he said, look, God is so radical. Just come in here. We want to surround you and pray. And God can bust up that stone and take it out of your body. He can just take it. And I said, really? Because I didn't know. He said, just come on in. I said, okay. So I told him my appointment's pretty early. He said, well, we're in pretty early. Come first thing as soon as we get here. And I'll have the staff gather around you. So I ran in there and I introduced myself. And I'm three days old in the Lord. So I'm in there. Hi. You know, it's me, born again. <laughs> and they s talking to me a little, and they prayed, laid hands on me, started to pray over me, and I felt this chill in my kidney. It was so fun. This chill was in my kidney, and it started to go up my body, just like a chill. It was, it was at a spot. It was like a real cold feeling right at a spot, and it went, ooh, and I felt this, boop. And I went, oh, my God, it disappeared. It popped. Ooh, I'm bawling. Oh my God. <laughs> and, I'm like, and I sit on the couch and, and they're all laughing and like, oh, God's really on him. And I'm like, oh. And, and I had to get, they said, you better get to your appointment. I said, well, I will, but hey, I'm healed. So I go in there. Hi, I'm Dan, but you're not going to have to do the surgery on me. God just healed, healed me and took the kidney stone. And I'm talking like, to them, I am totally toasted. I am like, we're, they're thinking we're going to get the stone and then we're going to look at your brain. Because I'm that convinced. I'm like, hey, uh, look, I have an appointment. You said, they said they're going to run this dye in me. They're going to take this claw and go up in my body. Yeah, right. God loves me. He took the thing out already. <laughs> So they said, well, sir, we need to process you. We need to take you in the room. And I said, well, you're not going to have to do the surgery. You're not doing the surgery. Do you understand God healed me this morning? Well, what do you mean? Some people prayed and I felt the cold. It just, poof, and it's gone. The stones, I don't need the surgery. Put the claw away. I, I, was, I was so terrified of the claw. You have no idea. I was not a man. I was afraid. I really was. I was petrified. But now that Jesus showed up, I'm thinking, don't need to call. He healed me. So it wasn't a cop out to try to avoid the surgery. I believed I didn't need the surgery. And I kept telling him, I don't need the surgery. Don't need. Nurse came in. She's got all her instruments. She's got her thing of dye and this big syringe. And she oh. said, yeah, yeah, no, they were bringing that on a skidboard. <laughs> and so, anyhow... <laughs> She comes in, she says, you're Mr. Moeller, yes, I need to sit you up here, da-da-da. I said, ma'am, I already explained at the desk, I don't need the surgery. Oh, did you pass the stone? No, God took it. God touched me this morning, they prayed, what are you talking about? Oh, she was so disgusted. She's like, oh, I don't even have time for you. She's like, she was so disgusted with me. I said, honey, and there's another nurse that I didn't even notice because this nurse was so... I really noticed her because she was quick to let me know how foolish I was and sit on that thing. We're doing this. And I said, no, absolutely not. I said, you need to take another x-ray. I don't need this surgery. And if my insurance won't pay it, I'll pay it. Take the thing because you're not doing that claw if there ain't no stone. I don't want you to do the claw if there is a stone. She's like so mad at me. She goes, takes the x-ray. She comes back. She says, 
Oh, you should have saw her. Some people really enjoy people's stuff. Because people are hurting out there. She, I mean, she looked to me like sinister, like on them cartoons, some sinister character. She said, well, Mr. Moeller. <laughs> she did. She said, well, Mr. Moeller, we still have a stone. And she was gloating in it. And I was like, huh? Ma'am, I can't. I, I, I know I don't need the surgery. I felt God touch me. She said, well, I don't know what you felt, but you have a stone and you've wasted enough of our time. So sit on that table because we're getting the die out. I said, ma'am, I need to see that x-ray. Forgive me, but I know God touched me and I don't need the surgery. I kept saying I don't need the surgery. I looked at the x-ray and I had seen the other ones and I looked at it. She said, it's right there. And it was big. Looked like somebody dropped a green pea inside of my kidney. <gasps> and I'm thinking, how were they thinking of pulling that through there? And then there, and then through there. <laughs> I'm looking at this and I said, ma'am, this stone was laying here. Do you have my other x-ray? She's your other x-ray right here. She's ah, like, now you're a doctor, right? And she's flipping on the lights. And she points and says, there's your other x-ray. And she points to this stone. And I said, but look at this. I said, honey, that's why they're doing the surgery. Look where the stone is. Look where it is in this new picture. It's in the very top little cavity and compartment. I don't know if you know how your kidneys look. They're like little sidewalls and gaps in them. And it was laying up there on the very top rafter. <laughs> I said, honey, it's up there. Well, I don't know how it got up there and I don't know what it's doing up there. Mr. Muller, you have a stone and it's too big to pass and we need to take it out. Sit on the table. I said, call my doctor. He needs to see the x-ray. He's right down the hall. He has to see this x-ray because something happened. Now she's... Now I'm the patient. And I'm not being mean. I'm just sure I don't need the surgery. And now I see the stone. Now I'm thinking more I don't want the claw. Serious. Because I was shocked. When she told me the stone's still there, my heart sank. But I still had to look. So she sends him down to the doctor. She says, sir, she was really mad. You have no idea how mad she was at me. She said, I don't know if you understand what you're creating today. We have all these patients. We have all these appointments. And here you are. And you have wasted so much of our time. You need to sit on that table and let me begin to prep you. Because you're going to have to have this surgery. Don't you understand? You still have a stone and it's too big to pass. And I'm like, she's starting to make sense to me. Has God really said you're going to die? God just knows. I was listening. I sit down on the table. Hey. I sat down on the mic. I sat down on the table and I'm ready to give up my arm. She's getting this die out and she's happy. This is the best part of her day. She's like this religious kook is getting what's coming to him. And she was right. Because as she's getting this die in the syringe, the phone ran right on the wall. She picked it up and said, Yes. Really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Click. It was your doctor. 
He said, he needs to see you right away. You don't need this surgery. I said, I've been telling you that all morning. I was so flipped out. I was so pumped. I said, thank you, Lord. Thank you. I was like the most amazing Christian. I'm three days saved. Thank you, Lord. Yay. No claw. And and I wanted to hug her and she would have hit me. She was so mad that I didn't need the surgery. She wanted to stick me with that dye, man. And I get up. And I start heading out the room. I said, see you, honey. And I'm sorry you didn't understand and that we, you know, felt like this, but oh, see ya. I was pumped. I was just like, you know. Uh-oh. Oh, I got to settle down. Settle down, Dan. You're only on three hours sleep. When you're on three hours sleep, you're supposed to be tired. <laughs> So I'm walking around the corner and I feel this person apprehend me and grab my sleeve. I look, here's the little nurse, just a little precious thing. Tears filled her eyes. Watch what she said. You don't realize how, even though this lady was mad at me and indignant and frustrated, her little helper was standing there in the corner quiet the whole time listening and watching. I didn't even think about her being there because this other lady... That might be, a, is that connection or a battery, do you think? You think, does it click off and on like that, Josh, because of a battery or a connection? Okay, because I'm jumping around. I've just turned it. I think I got it. <laughs> now watch what she does. She's got tears in her eyes. And I said, oh, hi. She said, oh, my goodness. She said, you are just such a Christian. She said, I so need to grow. You are so grown and mature in the Lord. You must have been a Christian for a long time to walk in the kind of faith that I see in you and just your boldness to declare him. I watched God move in there and, and I just can't wait. I need to grow and mature like I see you. And, and I, she said, I'm a Christian too. And I said, honey, I've been saved three days. <laughs> she thinks I'm a seasoned Christian, mature, walking in God, carrying myself in God. <laughs> I'm three days saved. All I know is my kidney had a chill and I'm afraid of the claw. That's all I know. I had a chill and fear and it came together and she thought it was amazing. <laughs> she's a fervent mother. She's like so convicted by my life. I'm three days saved. She said, but the way you spoke up and took a stand, I said, honey, I'm saved three days. She said, what? I said, Sunday night. Yay. I said, but I'm glad I'm in the family. Love you. Hugged her, took off. Sitting in the room. Dr. Sedan, I've been a specialist in this field my, my whole, you know, medical profession for however much time. I don't remember details. He said, I've never seen anything like this. I said, what do you mean? He said, a kidney stone can't go up. All the flow's down. And your body's up and down and all the flow's from the top down. A kidney stone can't do what your kidney stone did. It doesn't make any sense to me. There's no explanation. I said, there is, sir. Some people this morning surrounded me and prayed. I had a revelation Sunday night in the Lord. God changed my life, doctor. He's real and he lives inside of me and loves me. I called a pastor. I told him I had disappointment. He wanted to meet with me. He said, well, let's just pray for you. God is so radical. He could take the stone out of you. I said, I don't understand why he didn't take it out. But he obviously took it from needing that claw. He took it and put it up in the top. 
and he said, and you canceled the surgery because I sure didn't, wasn't looking forward to that. He said, well, this is amazing because this, it can't do that. I said, well, then it is God, isn't it? And he's just like, hmm. And I said, so what do we do? He said, well, there is one thing. You still have a stone. And he said, if that thing rolls off of that shelf, and falls down to where it was, you're going to be back in the hospital with the catheter and passed out, and it's going to be an ugly scene. But he said, where it's at right now, we really can't go get it. He said, we'd have to wait for it to move. So I'm not sure how this happened. I said, sir, it was God. It's going to have to work out. It's God. I actually had the instinct and understanding to know that God didn't put it up there to roll it back out. I actually understood that. And I was three days saved, guys. By sheer instinct, I understood God didn't move it up there to roll it back down and sit up with heaven and go, ha, ha, look at him roll. Look at him scream. <laughs> oh, dude, look at a catheter bag. Yeah, let's stick it back up and do it tomorrow. <sighs> Here's what he said. He got that sinister look like the nurse had. He wasn't being mean. He is being real. He pulled out these serious painkillers. And he said, well, I'm going to give you these. It's just a few samples. They're very, very strong. Don't take them. Just keep them with you everywhere you go. And he looked at me. really leaned in, Matt. He said, if that stone moves this much, you will need these. And I went... And I backed up. <laughs> and he's like, and uh, I said, is there anything that, you know, wh so what do I do? He said, well, I, well, it's just a waiting process, but I wouldn't encourage you. I don't know if you're athletic. I don't know. I said, I run all the time. I'm a jogger. And he said, uh, I would encourage you not to run. Because he said, running is just boom, boom, boom. And he said, you're just going to roll that thing right off the shelf. <laughs> So I went in and saw Pastor Jack and I told him about my experience. And he said, wow. He said, so that was definitely God. He said, it's stuff that creates questions and people don't know why God does stuff like that. But obviously that was God. I said, I guarantee that was God. I didn't get no claw today. I, <laughs> and he said, I said, uh, I said, you know, I don't believe God did this for it to just roll back down. He said, that's awesome. Just believe that. You believe and you speak to God what you believe He's doing right now. And that'll be your faith. And that's what He told me. So I went home. I'm all by myself. And here's what I said. It's amazing. Three days saved, guys. I said, Lord, you did an amazing thing today. You spared me of that surgery. You moved that stone. I felt it myself. That was amazing. I thought it was disappeared. But it's still there. But you moved. God, I'm believing you're going to take this out of my body. If you could move it around like that, you can take it out of me. And I'm believing right now that you love me so much, you're going to take it out of me. No pain, no blood, no nothing. Right? Thank you, Father. Went to work, jogged every day. Every day I jogged. Seven weeks later, my family... And me are heading to Montana. I got the whole car packed. 
My family's restored. My wife had that amazing experience in the bathroom and our marriage got healed. My kids just meshed right into the change in my life. So it's like a dream come true. It's like a fairy tale. In fact, we drove 2,200 miles with a 10 and 5-year-old and not one time did they say, are we there yet? There wasn't one scuffle or fight in the back seat. They played and talked and laughed the whole time. We played worship music and wept the whole way to Montana because God redeemed our lives. My kids, not one time was there even a, a moment of contention, stress, or stop it, or give me that, or are we there yet? That is impossible. There was a 48-hour period when my wife and I got restored that we don't remember. We don't remember feeding our kids, putting them to bed or nothing for 48 hours. Don't know. It's amazing. Heaven's real. <laughs> so I packed the car. We prayed in a circle. And uh, we went outside. It was funny. People were, you know, teach you stuff. Seven weeks, you've been around the church long enough. So they got us building barriers around the car. So I got the kids on each side and me and my wife and we're praying around the car. I'm not saying it's wrong. We're just doing this. And as a man, I thought, okay, I packed them all in. I thought I better run in and just now seven weeks, I'm living like a man without a stone, running every day, not even thinking about the stone. Thank you, Jesus. Faith before the Lord. Grace on my life. Faith, grace, right? I go in the house. I'm looking around the room making sure we didn't forget nothing because you're going 2,200 miles. You can't get to Minnesota and say, oh, we forgot this. So I'm looking, scanning, looking, scanning. I looked on the hutch and there's that little capsule of pills. And in my mind, just out of rationale, I went, wow, 19 days, 2,200 miles. I guess it wouldn't hurt to grab these because if something would happen, it'd be a mess to be the whole way out there. Have the kids be on the road or something. So I didn't say nothing to nobody. I just stuck them in my pocket. When I got to the car, I laid them in the, the little handle of the door, the little pouch thing on the door. It seemed innocent to me. But guess what I was doing? Well, I wasn't purposely doubting. Here's what I was doing. I was living as a man without a stone and walking in the grace of it. And now I'm saying, what if? And picking it back up the identity of a man with a stone. Now watch. Watch how peculiar this is. I get to the first rest stop. We actually made it to Pittsburgh on the turnpike with my kids before they said we'd have to go to the bathroom. That's amazing. It's four hours, three and a half hours. With kids. I can't, I, if I was traveling with Todd, I'd have stopped three times. <laughs> I told Todd, you're not like traveling with kids. You're like traveling with a youth group. <laughs> Just you is like a whole youth group. <laughs> 40 minutes down the road. Dude, do you like ever have to go? Nope. <laughs> like never? Nope. <laughs> Could we like stop? We stopped twice already in the last hour and a half. Dude. <laughs> Took me a long time to discipline his bladder. But we did it. <laughs> we did it. Man. We just flew from Denver to BWI. It's three hours. We got off the plane. He said, you proud of me? I didn't get out of my seat the whole time. He said, you did a good thing back in those days. 
Get to the Pittsburgh rest stop. I run into the bathroom. I'm at the urinal, the men's room. Feel fine. I'm going to the bathroom and you know, I know this is TMI stuff, but you just make sure everything's right and you just look down and you just make sure everything's right. Like you don't, you don't want to miss the urinal. It's just instinct. You just, Patty, it's normal. We, come on, honey, pull it together. We pee every day. Come on, come on, pull it together, girl. <laughs> now watch. I looked at, because this story gets worse, I got to prepare you. I looked down and I went, oh my gosh. The stream coming out of my body was full of blood. Now, isn't it amazing? I'm running every day. I'm jogging every day. Totally normal. I pick up those pills and say, what if? It'd be a good idea. It'd be wisdom, brother. You better use... That phrase has stopped the power of God more times than you can imagine. Because who's wisdom? What are we talking about? Our own concerns and inconsistencies. So I pick up these pills. And I'm not telling you to ever do what I did. I'm just sharing a principle of how faith works. And really seeing and really believing how powerful it is. Because I'm telling you to not do what I did. You have to have a revelation. So I'm standing there and watch this. Now this might be too intense. You might not hear this right. But in my tender seven week stage. As I see that blood rolling down into that urinal. I realized immediately. There was a connection with those pills. Now watch. I felt like I committed adultery. I felt like I just watched a bad movie. I felt like I'd sinned so bad. I, I felt like I sinned. I'm standing there. At the, and I'm not, I'm not saying that's the reality of it. That's how I personally felt at the time. I just started bawling at the urinal. And I said, God, oh my God, God, forgive me. Oh my God, why did I? I didn't. So I come out of the men's room crying. My wife's like, honey, what's wrong? Because she's just, I'm just wired and happy. And now I come out of the men's room. <laughs> I come out of the men's room crying. And I said, I just sinned. She said, what did you do? <laughs> it's like, I, I picture that. I'm all broken. I'm like a little kid. I'm coming across the parking lot. <laughs> and she says, honey, what's wrong? She's all sweet. Honey, what's wrong? I just sinned. What, what did you do? <laughs> Help us, Jesus. We can get through this class. I said, watch what I said. I reached down in the door. And I said, I brought these along. She said, so? Really? She said, so? She said, you don't understand. Now, I'm seven weeks old in the Lord. Nobody's teaching me this stuff. I'm just learning as I go. I said seven weeks ago, God, and I explained it. I said, and then this is, Kimmy, this is a what if. This is a taking back the problem. It's a what if to me. I was already settled. Now, watch. If you're not settled and you're concerned, is it wrong to take them pills along with you? I would never tell anybody not to if you're concerned. I tell people if you're afraid and, and you got trouble and you're afraid and you're trying to find faith, man, just go to 911 and keep pursuing faith on the way. I don't make it difficult, but I do go after faith. See what I mean? 
we find faith in his love. We find revelation through the gospel. Then when the crisis rises, the revelation responds. If we're trying to apply faith and find faith in the middle of the crisis, we're probably a step behind. Probably need to just get some help, walk our way through in Christ, unless it's your own personal well-being in life and you make this decision to stand. But you never do that at the cost of another person. That's why tragedies have happened and faith has a bad impression because people have in pride and, and trying to make a statement have resisted things for kids and people and stuff and for wrong reasons and bad things happen. Follow me? So I said, she said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I don't know where this scripture is. I've been reading so much of my Bible but I know it says in the Bible, if I confess my faults one to another and pray for one another that we might be healed. If I just confessed my fault to you, please pray for me. Well, my wife, the prayer was pitiful because she loved me. She was so, it was like so works oriented. She's so like, she's feeling like I didn't sin at all, right? I'm feeling like I just committed adultery or something, you know? I'm like, Whoa. and she's like, Lord. Oh, she was so precious. Lord. You have changed Dan so much. He's a brand new man. He's such a blessing. He's such a good guy. He's just so amazing. <laughs> I'm just sitting there. And she prayed for me because it was her heart towards me. I'm not making fun of her. It was just funny how we think. It's not works. It's not married. You're not healed because you're a good guy. You're healed because Jesus is Lord and God loves you and paid the price. <laughs> so I get up out of the car. And I started across the lot. She said, what are you doing? I said, I'll be back. I took that pills and I went over to the rest can and the waste can and I threw them down in the bottom of the waste can. While I'm passing blood in my urine, I threw them in there. Now see, you don't do that as a faith tactic. You do that because you see what's happening and you cancel the problem and get back in the place you were. Period. That's what I did. Now you better know that's what you believe in every revelation. If you try to do what I did, well, Dan threw his pills away. I just need to throw my pills away because as long as I'm throwing, taking my pills, it's, and I hear people say that, it's condemnation. As long as I'm taking my pills, I'm just da, 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 da. And the only reason they're thinking should they throw their pills away because they're being condemned that they're taking them, not because they have a revelation. Hello? I don't tell you to stop that stuff. I say, keep pursuing Jesus till you get a revelation. And when you know you're in that place, see, because when I drop those pills and I'm passing blood, what happens if I get 10 down, miles down the road and an ache starts pursuing my kidney? What happens if I'm 50 miles down the road and it really starts hurting? I can't second guess. I can't say, oh God, why did I throw them pills away? You turn, let's go dig in that can. No, you just believe. Story's beautiful. I, uh, Went to Montana for 19 days. Ran every day out there that I could. Came back. Was home about a week or so. Jogging every day. Life is good. God is good. Family's restored. Yay for Jesus. I go up one day not even thinking. I mean, how much time is going by? Over a month. Around a month. I go to the bathroom. You women are funny. You'll know. You, 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 especially you moms. And older women that have been around the skies a lot, you're always saying, don't pee on the seat. If you pee on the seat, make sure you wipe it. Oh, that's gross. Why did you, you're missing. You know? 
This guy's content to do that a little bit. So I'm real conscious. Every time I go to the bathroom, I grab clean. I wipe the whole thing around. My wife's like loves me for that. She says, you really do good. I said, you taught me. But on this day, I blew it bad because I go to the bathroom. I lift the seat like a good guy. She lady's got to sit on that thing. So I lift that seat up and I'm going to the bathroom. You know how you got them spray nozzles on a hose and do the garden? I'm standing there and my stream of urine goes. I go all over. You have no idea. It, it, It didn't even make sense. It was like it was all over the back of the toilet. It was on the side of the wall running it. And my heart's jumping out of my chest. I'm like, what happened? Because all of a sudden it was back to normal. It just went and back to normal. Well, it it had to happen that way. It didn't have to supernaturally, but it had to happen that way or I missed what happened. All of a sudden it hit me. That stone. When that stone popped out of my body, it obstructed the flow and sprayed everything. Oh, I was so pumped. I could clean that up. But if that wouldn't have happened, I wouldn't have known. I looked in the toilet, because it just, and it probably was God the stone. I looked in the toilet. It was down in there. Yeah! Whoa! Yeah, I was so pumped. Not a drop of blood, not one pain. It wasn't broke, chipped. That thing was like a green pea. I looked at that. I looked at me. Impossible. Oh, tears running down my face. I go run. We're under the chandelier. I said, guys, look at the miracle of God. That's the kidney stone. And the kids are like, whoa. Did you ever look at one? Magnified? It looks like the ends of sharp knife blades cut off and all glued together. Is that my telling the truth? This thing was so nasty. It looked like a million razors intertwined and stuck together in a ball. And they roll through your body and cut you to pieces. <laughs> yeah, one kidney stone, like an atonement, you know, a sacrifice. <laughs> Not one pain, not one drop of blood, absolutely, totally, physically, humanly impossible. If that thing would have moved that much, the doctor said, you will need this. (laughs) Guess where they were? Somewhere in a waste dump. Guess where Jesus was? At the right hand of Almighty God making intercession for me. Guess where I was? In faith and trusting Him in the midst of a real situation. (sighs) You got to tell some of these stories so you understand what's wrong with me. Serious. Come on. I'm seven, eight weeks old. Uh, Seven weeks old in the Lord when that happened. 19 days plus a week later. I'm I'm 11, 12 weeks old in the Lord. What do you think that does to me? When I'm holding that stone. Oh, I was weeping. I stood there and my family's looking and, and my kids are watching me cry. And I said, look at this, Kim. 
I had to put the micro or the magnifying glass on it, and they were like, whoa. And I said, that was in my kidney, kids. I prayed, and I explained also, it came the whole way out of my body and never felt a thing. Isn't that fun? I grabbed them pills and passed blood the very next time I went to the bathroom. Threw them things away, never had another symptom, passed the thing just like I had believed. Why did it take all that time, brother? What's it matter? But that's a question. Well, why did, why did it take all that time? Oh. Y'all follow me? Oh, it's fun. Sorry, I know that story was long. Oh. If you don't understand the will of God, you can't have faith like that because you're wondering what's going on still. You're still trying to zero in on truth. I wonder if you understand the will of God. Ephesians 5.17 says, Do not, 5.17, Ephesians 5.17 says, Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Romans 12.2 says, Do not, do not be conformed to the way of the world, its ideas, its mindsets, its rationale. But be transformed. You know he's talking about ideas and mindsets because he's talking about renewing your mind. He says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your Why? Why do you need your mind renewed? So who can prove? So you can prove the good, acceptable, perfect will of God. That is not three different aspects of God's will. God's will is good, it's acceptable, it's perfect. It's not three different positions of will. Like permissive, submissive, we get all technical and stuff. Are you kidding me? Just walk in the will of God. Just stay in obedience. (laughs) Good, acceptable, perfect. It's just progressive. It's just saying His will is always good. Peace on earth. Good will toward man. If God's will is good, it's surely acceptable. And if it's acceptable and God is perfect, His will is surely perfect towards us. Amen? But we're supposed to prove it. Prove. Know that we know that we know. Who knows what I mean by that phrase? To know that you know that you know that you know. Every question answered through Christ Jesus. Amen? Who knows that when I go over to the garbage can, that is not a faith strategy. It's because I know that I know that I know that I know. And I can't second guess even if a symptom starts to press me. You following? The reason you don't teach this stuff is because people that respect you or hear your testimony and have the same kind of situation try to do what you did to see if it works for them. There's books on the bookshelf, How God Healed Me of Cancer. Rather than just share it in a testimony, they're sharing how their reality, right? Let's just take a break because it's the time anyway. Let's take a break. We'll look at this mic. Bless you guys. Take a break. (laughs) You guys be all careful when you go to the bathroom now, see? That'd be the cleanest seats ever, man. (laughs) Oh, God. We are messing up this morning. That's all I know. 
Okay, let's go to Hebrews real quick. Hebrews 11. Yeah, Hebrews 11. Real quick. I want to try to move fast and get something established here this last hour. And... Uh, okay. <laughs> understanding the will of God. I know we got on this healing thing yesterday. Understanding the will of God is huge. It's very important. Uh, it's important to believe that Jesus came for a purpose, paid a price for a purpose. He, didn't, he came to remove sin and the effects of sin. If sickness and disease came through the fall of man and Jesus took the fall so we could get back up, why would we think God uses these very same things? to teach us, to build character, and all this kind of stuff. I, I, I couldn't disagree more in my own heart. I don't want to argue about it with people. I, I, I want to be so sure in my mind so that I can have faith and believe the heart and nature of God in a situation. If I believe for one minute that God subtracts out the devil, subcontracts him, or, or uses the things he paid to remove then I'm in limbo. I don't know whether I'm coming or going when I'm in a situation because is it God uh, or is it the devil? Jesus said the thief comes, but to, comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. So, but I have come. So it's a, it's a contrast. The thief comes for this reason, to steal, kill, destroy... And if you look in John 10.10, 10, when he's talking about the thief, we all know, we all think devil when he says thief, but it's actually false teaching is what he's talking about in John 10.10. 10. And the reason we know it's the devil because every false teaching comes from the devil. But he's really addressing false teachers, false teaching. And the purpose of false teaching is to steal, kill, and destroy. So where does it come from? It comes from the enemy, of course. Why? Because he wants to steal, kill, and destroy the finished work of Christ, the purpose of the covenant, the joy that's in your heart, the hope of salvation, and whatever else good thing comes through the cross. But false teaching is detrimental. It steals, kills, and destroys. It tells you why you should be careful to have a hope when the Bible says hope's the anchor of your soul and faith is the substance of your things hoped for. When you don't understand who God is, when you don't know the will of God, you can't have faith. You can't set your confidence in a thing because you're not sure where God stands. So you're reduced to praying a cross fingers prayer in a method. You're saying the right things, hoping it works. I had a pastor really upset with me one time, really, really mad at me. And I mean, he was so mad at me in a parking lot and he just, bam, Found out later his mother died of cancer. That's why he was so mad at what I was preaching. Because he took it so personal and he took it so inward. And that if, if what I was preaching, then he was hearing it as uh, suggesting that his mom didn't have faith or was in sin. I wonder if we just don't have understanding. I wonder if we're super good people and don't have understanding and we're destroyed for the lack of knowledge. I wonder if it's that simple. I wonder if our, our knowledge, what we're calling knowledge, is actually destroying us. I wonder if we're making exception for faith and giving permission for things that could be changed because of our theology. See, here's the paradox. I got an open vision in my kitchen one time 
of the hand of God coming down rescuing two babies in the NICU unit. The hand, it opened vision. I'm bawling on the phone. It's a long story. I won't tell it. But the, the hand came down and scooped the babies. And when the, the hand scooped, the babies were in the palm of the hand. If my theology was that God takes people and doesn't heal everybody and sometimes he ordains death, I would have said, take heart, mom. You need to find peace because your babies are in the hand of God as if the hand now is going to go back up into heaven. And that's how I would have interpreted and prophesied the vision. But I don't have a grid for that. That's the last thing I could possibly think when I see the hand scoop the babies. So guess what I said? Mom, you better take heart. Your babies aren't dying. They're in the hand of God. Your babies are going to live. Well, the one baby had to die because the lungs weren't formed. It was one pound, nine ounces. And the lungs weren't formed and they were going to unhook the respirator. The baby had to die. But they're in the hand of God. Yeah, but brother, he's taking them to be with the Lord. No, they're in the strong hand of God. They're going to live. Prophetic. <sighs> My theology determines how I understand the vision. True? And if I don't have the theology that I have, then I'm thinking what? God's let me know he's taking the babies. <sighs> But I proclaimed to live. Guess what happened? They unhooked the little baby from the respirator and they're sad and the nurses are sad because they watch tiny babies in NICU die all the time. And it's precious little life. When I saw the babies, I stood there and just cried and cried. I never saw a one pound, nine ounce baby in my life. And I just looked in there and I couldn't believe it. About like that laying there. took this wedding band up the hand to the armpit like this and never touched nothing of the baby. The nurse wanted me to have a visual of how little they were. So she, she took my wedding band, she cleaned it, sanitized it up. She said, I just want to show you so you can always remember. Took her little hand, put it through up to the armpit and went like this with this wedding band right here. I stood there and cried. But they unhooked the respirator, the ventilator thing, and she just curled up, sucked her little hand and curled up in a little ball. And they're waiting for her to terminate. She never did. And after time got so ridiculous that they thought, what is going on? Because she doesn't have the capacity to breathe. She should be gone. They knew something was up. They re-ultrasounded her lungs. were totally fine. But think about the paradox. The hand. And how I interpret the vision. The earth he did give to the children of men. You decree a thing and it shall come to pass. Power and life and death is in your tongue. Hello. We're putting it all on God. And God's given us the kingdom. And we're putting it all on God as the sovereign, divine, orchestrating being that he is. He is divine and amazing and he's incredible and you can't even put God into words. So am I doing him injustice and dishonor when I talk like this? No, we don't understand. He made us in his image and gave us the kingdom to subdue the earth. He gave us the stewardship of the earth. 
and told us to subdue. And in being subdued, we find fault with God and wonder where he's at and what he's doing. And we've turned him into a charade instead of a mystery revealed. Let's read. Now, faith is the substance. The substance. Do you know what substance means? It means the realization, the tangibility. Good. That's good. The realization, the tangibility. Whoa. How can I have a realization of my hope without knowing God's nature and His will in a situation? How can I have the realization, the tangibility of hope? Who knows when you're sick, you hope to be healed? Who knows when somebody's dying, you hope they live? Right? But how can I have the tangibility, the realization of that hope if I don't understand the will of God in the matter? How can I be so convinced in my heart and know that I know that I know if I haven't settled God's will? Are you following me? Come on, this is important. This pastor got so mad at me. He said, you're a heretic. You will be judged before God and thrown into hell. He said, it's people like you that are hurting the body of Christ. He's screaming at me. And I said, man, I'm sorry you feel that way. I, I just, I don't, I don't feel that way. Who sees he's mad? Who sees he's hurt because he lost his mother? Who sees that you can say anything in pain? Who knows that I'm not threatened by his threat? Who knows that I'm sitting in my bedroom on my bed and the presence of God comes and he talks to me and fathers me and loves me? And who knows that I know I'm not going to be judged? And who knows I know I'm not a heretic? Who knows he's angry? You follow me? And he said, well, I need to ask you this question. Is it God's will to heal everybody? And I said, of course. Certainly. And that's when he... I met him several years later jogging on a trail. He passed by me. And I recognized him. And I said, hey, pastor. And I said his name. Kept running. And we met coming around the other way on the trail. And he stopped me. And he forgot my name and thought it was Mark. And... I said, no, and I told him my name. He said, wow, well, listen, man, it's good I bumped into you because I wanted to say, you know, there was a time I really treated you rough and blah, 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 and I'm sorry. It wasn't a God thing. Did the whole religious thing. People carry hurts for years. It's amazing. We got talking a little, and he asked me how I'm doing and what's happening, what's going on, and I began to share with him. He said, see, you're going in that same line. He said, let me ask you a question. Do you still believe it's God's way? And I said, emphatically, absolutely, yes. And he just turned red again. He said, that's what I hate about you Pentecostal charismatics. And I cried on the trail in the woods when you weren't there. I said, is that what I am? I don't even know that's what I am. Just in love with Jesus, sir. I just seek him. I said, you don't know my tears. You don't see my prayer life. You're not with me when I'm with him. It's you're projecting on me. It's easy to be mad. And you're just mad. And I said, you just told me you forgive me and da-da-da. It's really not the case. And no, you're right. And then he went on again to tell me I'm going to be judged to be a heretic, that I'm a heretic. And really went on and on and I thought wow 
I'm learning from this, but I'm really broken in my heart. People take life really personal. And when you take life so personal, it keeps you from having an ear to hear what the Spirit of the Lord's saying through the Bible. Because what he's saying, you're interpreting through your pain, not his life. You follow me? And now he's pastoring, carrying that kind of pain. Projecting that belief on multitudes of people, accusing me of being a heretic. When all the while he's in pain, I have the joy of my salvation. And I've watched countless people truly healed. And then the bottom line was, I'll tell you how irrational people get. He said, well, you've been just talking about yourself the whole time. He asked me how I was doing and what's new. <laughs> he said, you haven't even asked me how I'm doing. And he just started nitpicking like that. And I thought, wow, hurt is a wretched, terrible, treacherous thing. And, and I said, well, listen to this. And I shared something. And, he's, and he called me a liar. You're nothing but a liar. And then he, as I told him, I run on the trail all the time. Well, I never saw you on the trail before. See, you're a liar. That's how hurt is. I looked at him and I was crying pretty hard by this point and I said, my God, you're pastoring people. Your heart's in trouble and you're pastoring people. And I was just standing there crying. I said, oh my God. Sir, you're pastoring with that kind of heart. And I was crying. And I said, I'm going to go now. And I started jogging down the trail and he said, hey. He said, look, man, we, we can't leave like this. Look, I forgive you. I'm sorry. And I stopped and I said, no, you're not. No, you don't. You're being religious. Yeah, you're right. I hate you. You're a heretic. <laughs> wow. And he turned and ran away. And I thought, boy, hurt is a terrible thing. When you suffer physical loss mm -hmm. and anybody's saying anything other than what's trying to protect your hurting soul, mm -hmm. you're a cat in a corner. And you will kill that thing. You see what I'm saying? I cried the whole way home. Not because I was hurt. <laughs> I promise you guys. <laughs> it'll be a cold day in hell. <laughs> Before you find me hurt. It just will. I, I just, I see some things there. I was hurting at the reality of what this kind of pain does to us. And then it multiplies itself on a whole lot of other people that are carrying the same pain. So that's how we end up in circles and rivers and camps and streams. Because we find like situations, like people, like beliefs, and we gravitate toward one another. And we come up with belief systems that try to heal our wounds, but there's no real healing. And there's sure no increase of power, so we're always going to have the same scenarios and results. And watch the paradox. The more the results keep the same, the more it affirms your belief. And your belief is causing the results, but the results are affirming the belief. Are you following me? So now it's not just happened once, twice, three times. Now it's happened ten. See, I told you so. The reason I told this story mainly is because of this. I asked him 
Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. I said, don't you ever have altar calls and ever pray for the sick? Of course we do. The Bible says pray for the sick and anoint them with oil. I said, that's not all the Bible says. I said, let me ask you this. Who's getting healed? That's irrelevant. What matters is, is that we obey and anoint them with oil. I said, it's not the anointing of oil. It's the prayer of faith that saves the sick. Anoint them with oil, praying the prayer of And the prayer of faith will save the sick and God will raise them up. That's exactly how it quotes. It's James 5.13. 14. 5.14. Is any among you sick? Let him ask for prayer, having the elders pray over them, anointing them with oil, praying the prayer of faith, and the prayer of faith will, will, the prayer of faith, you want to look at it? James 5, you just want to see it with your eyes? So you see, I'm not preaching my own stuff. <coughs> Is any of, See, here's the worst you can get. Persecuted for believing the Bible in the face of people's reality. That's the worst you can get as a Christian. Bring it on. They put Jesus on the cross. We're not trying to pick a fight, but we will not compromise. This is the word of God. Now look, if it's not my reality, I have to grow into it. True? If Jesus said, follow me, and my experience isn't equivalent to his, I'm still growing, right? But if I embrace a belief system contrary to what he taught me, then I'm stopping growing. I've got a ceiling over my head. You follow me? This is important. Is anyone who? Is who? Anyone. Come on, this is important. Is who? So there's no exclusions concerning sovereignty or the will of God. (laughs) Ha ha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Is who? Anyone. Come on, you better catch that. If it wasn't like that, God loves us too much to play charades. It would be so technical and complex, it would be ridiculous. It would have to say, is there anyone who's not ordained by God to be sick? Let him ask for prayer because it's the devil. Well, how do you know if it's the devil or I'm ordained to be sick? Well, I guess pray and find out. If you get healed, it's God's will. Then it was the devil. If you don't, it's God's ordination. Well, then when you pray, there's no faith. You follow me? People say, let's pray to see if it's the will of God. If he heals you, it is. If he doesn't, it isn't. But when you pray, it's the big if. So is there ever faith? So do you ever have the realization of your hope or the evidence of things unseen? No. (laughs) There's churches today by the score that say, let's pray and see if it's God's will to heal you. And they pray and say, if it be your will. We're supposed to know the will of God. When you pray, if it be your will, you're making a public testimony and confession. You don't have a clue what God's doing and wants to do. And we're supposed to know. Don't be unwise. Understand the will of God. Prove the perfect will of God. Some of us grew up in circles that threw the will of God around like a hot potato. Like no one could know it. 
that it was an unholy, irreverent, presumptuous thing to even assume the will of God, to know the will of God. That, that, was, that was blasphemy. Who's grew up in that kind of background, that the will of God was always a mystery? The mystery's revealed. Paul says in Galatians, the mystery's revealed. Christ has come out like God is. He called light to shine in the darkness. Come on. Ah. So I asked this man, who's getting healed? He said, that's irre irrelevant. And he got really threatened and mad at my question. I said, no, it's not irrelevant because the Bible says the prayer of faith will save the sick. And I said, okay. Okay, let me ask you this. Now, now, now hear my heart because I'm trying to reason with him. I'm not slighting him. I'm not bashing him. I said, so what I'm getting from you is people are not getting healed. You're not seeing people healed at the altar. You're going through the motions of ordinance. But sir, I'm telling you of all the people healed. You're calling me a liar. But if I'm not lying, then a lot of people are getting healed. So here's what you're telling me. God's sending the people to your order that it's not the will of God to heal. And he's sending people to our order that it is the will of God to heal. Or is the difference the prayer of faith? You don't know what you're doing. You're just following an ordinance in the sense of God's will. You think it's humble to say, if it be your will, I believe Jesus told me I to know his will and in the authority of his name pray and move mountains. So what's the difference between nobody getting healed and people getting healed. It's not that everybody's jumping healed, but a whole lot of people getting healed. What's the difference? It's the prayer of faith. I know this. People that embrace what I'm preaching, boy, it's going to be straight, strong comment. People that embrace what I'm preaching see a whole lot more of the miraculous and healings than anybody I know that doesn't preach what I'm preaching. And you have to make the connection. The connection is what we're willing to believe. You follow me? People that pray, if it be thy will, rarely see anything ever. There's people that have been a Christian their whole life and have never seen a healing or a miracle. And then that begins to be their doctrine, that experience. You say, well, it's great if it... I was talking to a pastor recently and I got on a couple healing. He said, you know, I think it's awesome when, when uh, that stuff happens. And I mean, it's pretty cool, but it, it's far outweighed by people that learn to suffer in grace. Far outweighed by people that learn to suffer in grace. And the reason he said that is because there's people in his family suffering, and they call it the suffering of the Lord in grace, not losing their integrity and character. When was character and integrity ever up for grabs? Why does it take sickness to produce character? We're supposed to have it already. Are you all following me? Do you have something still? Um, yeah. We have several questions that come in from our online students. Mm -hmm. And several of them involve sickness and healing. And this one I think that's in here. Um, and it's from Mandy from Korea, a different student mm -hmm. than the one we were talking about this right. morning. Right. Um, and she says, is anointing people with oil works? Um, I don't think it is, but it is cited in Scripture for healing. I just don't know how much ritual could be associated with that. Some people might even get to rely more on the oil than the Word of God. That's Mandy from Korea. That's a very clear statement. You can turn anything into works, guys. So, Mandy, just Sue felt important to ask, ask your question. Uh, 
the anointing of oil is a contact point of faith in James chapter 5, symbolic of the Holy Spirit upon you. That's how simple it is. It's not, there's no power in the bottle. There's power in what you believe. There's times the Lord instructs me to use oil. I think more so for the person I'm praying for just because it means something to them a lot of times. Uh, There's times I feel convicted to just because God's saying and I don't even question it. Just grab the bottle and do it, right? But when you do it, it's not a works. It's not just following an ordinance. It's not a ritual. It's symbolic of Holy Spirit upon you. You can explain that to people before you anoint them with oil if you feel necessary. But here's the key to this scripture. Is it the anointing of oil or the prayer of faith that heals the sick? So what's most important? So can you pray the prayer of faith without the oil? But if someone comes to you, if someone's sick, and if you look up this, is any among you sick? He's, he's really referring to people that can't make it to the gatherings, people that are invalid. They're, they're home, they're stuck, they're shut-ins. They can't make it to the meeting. That's, that's a lot of what he's referring to here. But, and then the elders go, and that's where we get the visitations from and all the stuff, people from the church. An elder, you have to understand that elder does not mean holding the office of elder in common day Christianity. An elder means an, an, an older, maturing one in the Lord. Somebody that is growing up in the Lord. It's an older brother in the Lord. It's not so, there's people holding the office of elder who doesn't even believe God heals. You follow me? There's, there's people that, like, like this thing's in the Bible. So look at the reality of this today. So you get a baby Christian, just gets born again and starts chomping in the word like I did when I got saved. And I'm in a church that doesn't believe in healing. And, I, and I'm sick, or my wife's sick, and I can't get her to church. Is any among you sick? Yeah. If it wasn't the will of God to heal, why is he asking the question? Hello? Why does he care if anyone is sick? He's talking about anybody. Is anybody sick? Because I don't want anybody sick. And if anybody's sick... Speak up so we can take care of this thing. Come on, why else would God be asking? <laughs> so then I call my pastor, I call the church office and I say, Hey, I read, this has happened to so many people. Hey, I just read James 5. I'm new to your church. But my wife, I, I'm just new as a Christian and I just started coming to church. I just got born again in one of your services the other week. And my name is so-and-so. Oh, yeah, I saw you on the... Yeah, okay. What's up? Well, my wife, I just read in James. Is anyone... Oh, well, we don't do that here. I've heard that story countless times. People come to me asking if I do this because they call churches and they say, we don't do that here. It's tough because... You wonder what we are doing. What are we doing? If we're not embracing this book. So look, is anyone who? Well, then let him call. So there's a power in asking, isn't it? Here's another thing. I'm just going to kill a little holy cow quick here, okay? There's so much about, well, I don't want to confess it. Well, I don't want to claim it, brother. Well, I don't want to speak it out of my mouth. Well, you just need to let God show you because I don't want to say it. 
Just because you say what you're going through doesn't mean you're laying claim to it as your identity. If you wouldn't ask for prayer being sick, how could you ever ask for prayer if you couldn't mention what you're going through? Is any among you sick? Not me, brother. I'm in faith. Praise God. I'm blessed. Praise God. <laughs> well, brother, you don't look like you're doing well. Are you okay? You look like you love. You don't live by sight, brother. You live by faith. Praise God. Bless God. Watch, is any among you, he's not saying it's wrong to recognize you got stuff going on that's not right. How could you ever ask for prayer if you're not willing to admit you're going through stuff that isn't wholeness? That is not laying claim to it. That's not wearing it as an identity. Here's what it is. It's saying, look, brother, I got this going on and it is not the will of God. It's not my creative value. And if we can agree, I know heaven will crush this thing because Jesus is Lord. Can we get this thing on and pray? Rather than, well, I don't even want to speak it out of my mouth. Well, I don't. well what are you going through? How can I pray? Well, I don't even want to say it. See, you're already making it huge and you're making it difficult. And what do you mean you don't want to say it? It's like going over to Jennifer. How are you doing today, hon? I'm fine. Praise the Lord. Bless God. Oh, okay. Well, praise God. Yeah, bless God. Praise God. Okay, good. Hey, she's good. So I go to somebody else because she's good. But she's sitting there and her head's splitting open with a migraine. But she feels like she has to say, yes, I'm doing fine, and that that would be faith. When she could say, you know, Dan, I'm really glad you asked. Because this morning I woke up in this crazy migraine. It is so not my lot in life. And I've prayed and I haven't seen it change. Would you take my hand? Would you bless me? Would you pray? Because I know if we can agree, heaven will break this thing off of me. Is that laying claim to the migraine? Is that giving the migraine glory? Where did we get that? Don't want to confess it, brother. Don't want to speak it, brother. <laughs> is any among you sick? We'll just ask. <laughs> Do you see how we've been deceived into not asking? You have not because you ask and it shall be. Well, I don't want to ask, brother, because I don't want to claim claim to it. Would you ask so we can get out of you? <laughs> you following? Kimberly. I need a mic. Anybody got it back here? Susan. And I'm not making fun. I'm saying, where did we get this stuff? We made things complicated. They're, they're backwards. Go ahead. Um, I just, we, we prayed for my sister. We went up to New York. We prayed for her and she went to her Christian counselor and came back with, well, he said that anointing oil was a type of medicine back in the day. So I looked it up in the concordance and it was, and I'd never had that thrown at me before. So I just didn't know how to respond. My initial reaction was, wow, that's just a cop out for you not to pray for people because she's going to someone who doesn't pray for people. You know, it's kind of what you were talking about before. But can you bring clarity to that just so that I have a... Do you know what I mean? Like, what is that about? The, 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 just, you just stay real clean in this. That, that the history of the Bible, anytime you're talking about oil and the anointing oil, it's symbolic of the presence of God, the outpouring of God's spirit, the flow of God's life. You see what I'm saying? So when, when because there was holy anointing all there's so now people have different fragrances, they make it up, that's just the real stuff, dude. That's what they say. Come on, you can use vegetable oil. 
That's what Mandy's concerned about. See, you, all of a sudden you got all this, but this is the real deal and it's got the little leaves and it's got all the stuff in. If there's a contact point of faith there for you, fine, but don't make it a ritual. The truth is you live by faith, Kimberly. And the anointing oil is simply a contact point of you to release your heart in the fact that the presence of the Lord is upon that person. You follow what I'm saying? So no matter what you find in history in certain anointing oils, when you look in the, in the history, uh, the temple, the tabernacle, all the stuff there, you look at even some of the, uh, the way they made the anointing oil, it's, it's, it's because it was considered holy. Why? It's because the Spirit of God is holy. God's presence is holy. It, it was a way to connect with God apart from the blood of Jesus. Now Christ has come. Holy Spirit lives right inside of me. But there's times we use the anointing oil. It's we pray the prayer of faith, pray the prayer of faith, anointing with oil. If there was anything to do with the oil, we wouldn't have to pray the prayer of faith. If the oil was what would heal them, we wouldn't need faith. You follow me? The oil is to release faith. It's the cont- God knows how we are, guys. So we get saved and he gives us water baptism to have a contact point of faith to outwardly express what took place on the inside. How sweet is that of God? And we can act out dying and living with sincerity and grace will come on it. He gives us the bread and the cup to remember Him, till his, to remember His death till He comes, to a contact point of faith, to pick it up and literally connect with the body of Christ. And everything it accomplished and just, oh my goodness. And the blood of the new covenant. Right? The oil's the same thing. Water baptism's the same thing. Make sense? Okay. Now watch. Pray the prayer of faith over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15. And the prayer, I have all these circled. And the prayer of faith... Shall or will, that's in either, will, that's right, will. Or shall, it's the same. The prayer of faith will, I like the word will, it's stronger to me in English. The the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. So I said this before, is the evidence of faith in believing or receiving? receiving? Receiving reveals believing. What reveals faith? Speaking to the mountain or the mountain moving? Mountain moving is the evidence of faith. That's by scripture. That's not my sermon. That's Bible. Matthew 17, 20. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Isn't that an amazing thing? So if this guy's sick, and we pray the prayer of faith, and we forgive any man his sins, his sins will be forgiven, we show mercy, mercy is obtained, we pray the prayer of faith, that man's healed, God says, look, if I healed him, you know I already forgave him. (laughs) If you're healed, you're forgiven. It's the same grace, it's the body and the blood. There's a paralytic, and he says, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. He flips it the other way around in James. He says, take heart, your sins are forgiven. Who's this guy that thinks he has a forgive sin? Blasphemer, we're going to get him on a cross yet. We'll kill him yet. And he says, why do you guys debate and bicker and think evil things in your heart? 
What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, arise and walk. But to show you the Son of Man has the power to forgive sin, get up and walk. What was he saying? Forgiveness is healing. Healing, forgiveness. And we've made it complicated because we haven't seen everybody healed when we prayed. I wonder if we've been more busy praying than believing. Oh God, did that come out of my mouth? We've learned how to pray. Teach us to pray, Lord. We've learned how to pray the scriptures. It's not praying the scriptures that move the mountain. It's believing. <laughs> come on. You got to be humble to hear what I'm saying or you'll let your you'll let stuff get in the way. Your hackles will rise. <laughs> Telling you, we'll get some barnyard bannies in here in a little, maybe. We'll be like, don't tell me I didn't have faith. That's not what we're saying. We're saying believing and receiving work together, but receiving's the evidence of believing, not prayer. Believing. We're so busy praying, our emphasis should be believing. Now, watch. How can I believe? If I haven't heard his will and understood his will through Christ Jesus. How can I believe God will? Lord, I know that you can heal me if you are willing. The leper. Man, if you watch the video, it's awesome. Lord, I know you can if you are willing. He hides himself. Jesus comes over to him. He unwraps him. I am willing. <laughs> the question wasn't, could he? Most people know he can do anything. They believe that in their heart. They'll confess that, but will he? That should answer the question forever. I know you can, but are you willing? I'm willing. Boom. <laughs> Come on. If he said that to the leper, why is he saying no to you? Come on. They're trying to figure out his will. I know you can, but are you willing? Look, you're healing everybody else, but what about me? And Jesus teaching us, bam. Now because we have that instruction and we have that, we can no longer just throw a fleece out. Hey, if you're willing, heal me and try to be like the leper. We're supposed to know he's willing. Because then you let the healing... Or the lack of healing reveal the will of God. But the will of God's already revealed through Christ. He already died and rose from the dead. He already gave his body and his blood. It should be settled a long time ago. But somewhere along the line, we got off course and somebody didn't get healed. And then somebody else didn't get healed. And then we started to create all this other stuff. And then we split into from the church to a whole bunch of denominations. And now today we fight over this stuff instead of pursue God. And we defend our losses instead of seeking Him. Oh, it is true. And it proves that we're, we're protecting ourselves instead of giving ourselves. So back to Hebrews quick. I've got to wrap this up. I'm sorry. I, can't, I just can't take questions right now. I feel like I need to get this done quick as I can. Because <coughs> I'm in trouble. Faith is the substance, the realization. The, the realization of things hoped for, the... Evidence. You know what other word could be used there? Like 
confidence. The title deed of things not seen. The confidence, the title deed, the evidence. How can I have evidence, tangible, substance, realized evidence in a situation if I don't know God's will in the matter? It's impossible. And that's why we've struggled so much. But we know what to pray. But do we know what to believe? And we're reduced to trying to get a breakthrough instead of realizing the stone's already rolled away. You follow me here? So you have to settle in your heart the will of God. So now I'm going to show you some scriptures that there's just no way around, okay? You all good with this? So hear what I said. Is anyone among you sick? If it wasn't the will of God to heal, why is he asking if anyone's sick? You get this? Oh, Jesus says, go, go real quick, Matthew 10, real quick. We've got to fly through scripture, okay? I'm just going to read a lot of scripture here. We're going to fly through. We're going to cover more scripture than we usually do, hopefully, here. And I won't get too in the way trying to preach. Matthew 10, verse 7. See, this is why all this contrary stuff rose up because of the Great Commission. The devil is freaked out that we're going to understand and walk in this. We're, we're preaching this stuff emphatically in Colorado and the churches believe in us and they're going out in the streets. So a man's finger grows back, tumors disappeared. We saw a lot of healings on the streets. It's really fun. One lady had a tumor that big and it disappeared under the 14-year-old girl's hand on the street. We watched a man ready to get surgery, totally healed. We, we went into a subway and the guy's walking like this. And he's healed. And he's like, oh my gosh. There were so many testimonies. So many testimonies. Why? Because of what I'm telling you here. As you go, verse 7. Preach saying the kingdom of God is at hand. We have to understand that the kingdom of God is the king's domain. It's how God functions. It's the realm of God. It's, it's how God works and moves. It's... It's the realm and dominion of God's kingdom on the earth. Is at hand means it's within reach. It means it is here. Okay? Now he said, don't look here, don't look there, for the kingdom of God is... Where's the kingdom? Oh my goodness. Now get this. The kingdom of God is where? Within you. Don't look here, don't look there. The kingdom of God is where? Now we're to go preach. Where's the kingdom? We're to go preach saying the kingdom of God is here. Wow. <laughs> Hello? Wow. Who are we? The body of? Whose term is that? Ours or did God give us that? Did we make that up or is that in the Bible? Who are we? The body of what? Christ. What is Christ? Jesus' last name? Is it like Joseph and Mary Christ on the mailbox? <laughs> Hello? Christ, it means the anointed one. The anointed one with the ability to anoint is what Christ means. And we're the embodiment of God's anointing. We're the embodiment of God's power. We're the embodiment of God's Messiah. We're the embodiment of God's Christ and Savior. We're God's choice 
to embody his kingdom. And go preach saying, it's here. That's why we say, can I see your hand? And pray. Why? Because the kingdom in us flows through us to go into people. That's why we lay our hands on the sick and don't cry out to God out there because God's in here. Go preach saying, God lives in men. I walked up on the street to a man and a lady. I'm talking to him and I said, oh my gosh, you're not doing well. He, the wife went. I said, it's really bad diabetes. And the wife went. How do you know? Watch what I said. Jesus, he lives inside of me. That's how I answered her. <laughs> sure good to not have whacked identity and stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, God lets me hear every once in a while. <laughs> how did you know? Jesus, he lives inside of me. And he's made my heart like his. It's called a heart of love. And I see you in love. I see you through his love. And he can tell me anything because he can tell his heart anything. He told me about your husband because he loves him and he knows I won't mishandle that. Sir, I need to see your hand. The best is yet to come. That's exactly how I talked. By now they're crying. Take his hand and the spirit of God goes... It's fun. You roll down the street a little and you sit on them. You're talking to a lady. Hey, you. What's going on in your legs? They hurt really bad. Is it like arthritis? How do you know? I just know that it's really hard to get out of bed in the morning. It's the time you look forward to the least in the morning because that's the challenge. How do you? Jesus, he lives inside of me. Give me your hand. That's coming out of your body. <laughs> yeah. Where's the kingdom? Go preach saying. The kingdom's here. Where is it? You're looking at it. <laughs> We've been raised to think that's blasphemy. But what did Jesus say? The kingdom's here. Where did Jesus put the kingdom? In his guise. Now watch. Preach saying the kingdom's here. Now watch. What, you tell me what changed the will of God since he said this. And you tell me where you can find he retracted this. Hello? Look, just because it's not your reality doesn't mean it's not God's will. Just because you haven't experienced it doesn't mean it's not true. And we're letting human wisdom talk ourselves out of God's word. Jesus said, see, because here's where, oh, I'm going to get down to this thing now. This is where you find out if you really honor him. When nothing around your life makes sense and measures up to what he said, and yet you honor what he said above what's going on around you. And you press in and you pay the price of your own life, your own feelings, your own emotions, your own reputation, till you find him. And you refuse to be offended. You refuse to be discouraged. Because those things point to self-centeredness and self-focus. Hello? Come on, I'm not mad. I'm just preaching straight and strong. Sober. 
At what point do we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and say, your word is true, period. Instead of, well, brother, you're just taking that too far. He couldn't have meant that because of look, duck, 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 duck. And now you're talking in the same language Eve entertained and ate the fruit. And that's why we eat it all the time. It's called the knowledge <laughs> of good and evil. We're still serving knowledge. No, it's impossible. <laughs> it's on video. <laughs> Watch this. I, I don't even know what I should know. Watch this. The kingdom of God is at hand. What's, what's, what's the response to the kingdom of God at hand? What's the first thing out of his mouth? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Some sick? The ones that it's not ordained that God didn't, you know, that God didn't make sick? The ones that God didn't make sick, right? You've got to heal the ones that God didn't make sick. Because if God made them sick, then you're not going to heal them because you're getting them out of the will of God. And if God made them sick and it's not the will of God to heal, why are you going to a doctor? Why are you even taking a medicine and trying to get out of the will of God? Just stay in the will of God. Why are you having a surgery if it's God's will that you be sick? Just stay sick then. It's crazy. Can I be wrong with this? That's crazy. And that kind of thinking's making us not too effective. Come on, forgive my emotion. And this thing, I have seen so much pain because of the wrong believing. Watch this. I haven't seen everything I pray for happen, and I don't go through the pain because of what I believe. It drives me to him more. Because of what I believe. I don't go through discouragement. Oh, I go through tears at the sense of loss. And, and I cry for mothers that cry because we didn't see their baby live. You better believe. See, that's all over me right now. I, I, that's real. But if I take that personal and selfish and, and take that to heart, I have no courage to hold another baby. But at that, at that point, what I'm saying is, then let them all die. Whatever will be, will be. But I can't handle this. And He's ordained me to be in the middle of that. And be selfless and courage and take the next one in my hands because of what He said. And not be bruised over the last one that didn't live. And not get caught up with a cynical argument. But grab them in my arms and believe and be a man of integrity. Because Jesus Christ said to do it. Who am I to cop a belief and not pick them up in my arms when he put his kingdom in me and said preach it here and heal the sick. If 20 died in a row... I got to pick up number 21. What are we thinking? Is he the Lord? Or is he not? Is his word his word? Or is it not? My experience should never have the right to define him. He's already defined himself through his life and experience, and he's the one I'm following. I'm not deciding him along the way. I'm following him along the way. 
come on, I don't mean to get, that stuff comes on me. I'm not yelling at people right now. I'm just, this thing is so, it grates on me sometimes because of what? The devil is freaked out by the gospel. He is so afraid of God. He is so afraid of our potential. And he's sure he can keep us fighting over this and hurt and sentimental and bruised and angry and mad and dull in our hearing. He is sure he can keep man in derision and and just sweep the gospel under the carpet. So by the year 2011, we just have churches on every corner and pay homage to God. Instead of manifest the kingdom like he said. You show me where it's changed. Heal the sick, very first thing out of his mouth. Cleanse the leper, raise the... Be honest, we still fear death in many cases. And we're to raise the dead. And we're still fearing death. Be honest, many of us. Freely you have what? What'd you receive? The kingdom, and in the kingdom is healing. In the kingdom is power, and the kingdom is liberty and redemption and righteousness. Right? Watch. The kingdom of God is not meat or drink, it's righteousness, peace. Because when you've been made right, you have peace with God. So sin can no longer have dominion over me because God cursed it in the flesh. And the law of sin and death has been destroyed by the law of the spirit of life that flows through Christ. (laughs) You get it? Come on. How do we muddy that up? Just because we don't get an answer to prayer and then our minds are so honored, our human opinion is so treasured that we can talk ourselves out of what he said? It's not up for debate. It's just time to keep growing. It's time to go back into the bedroom in the secret place and seek him. When his men didn't heal an epileptic and they said, why? He said, because it's what you're failing to see. He called it unbelief. If you preach like Jesus preached today, you offend most of the church because they're carrying so much pain because of loss that you can't speak freely. And it proves we need to die and get a grip of why we're Christians. I hope you guys are all right. I am really, I get intense. I'm sorry. I am not mad at anybody. I'm mad at these lies. I can tell you that. See, I I handle things. I, I, I like to chop up lies. I had a young man sitting in a service where God was working a couple miracles and he healed a man 10 feet away from me. And I went over and said, what's up with you, buddy? I haven't figured you out all night. He said, well, I'm an atheist. I don't believe. And I, you're kidding me. That's pitiful. That's just what came out of my mouth. I laughed. I said, you're kidding me. That's pitiful. That has to be the weakest stand to take on the planet. How easy it is to say, I just don't believe nothing. It takes a little bit of honor, integrity, and faith to believe something. And I actually, it looked like I was insulting him. I was insulting his belief. And to the point where it made him feel foolish. And he said, I guess it is kind of foolish, isn't it? I said, foolish? Are you kidding me? But see, you're not foolish. You're not called to be a fool, but that's foolish. And he ended up changing his whole mind and went home to go seek the Lord on his bed. But I accosted his belief. I wasn't accosting him, but I attacked that belief. 
<laughs> you follow me? I am not doing well here. Freely you've received. What did you receive? The kingdom. What do you freely give? The kingdom. What's in the kingdom? Healing and restoration. He says the same thing in Luke. Same thing in Luke. Let's go to Matthew quick. 17, 20. 19. Why couldn't we cast out the epilepsy? Well, it's because of your unbelief, guys. <gasps> I'm offended. I'm leaving church. He's not being mean. He's not saying, because you don't have no faith. You get more faith, you'll see. He's not saying that. He's not being rude. He's saying, if you study it out, he's saying, because of what you fail to see. You follow me? You follow me? Because of what you fail to see. Why couldn't we heal the epilepsy? Because of what? It's a visual. Epilepsy is a seizure. If he'd have stopped seizing, you'd think he might be healed. So he obviously never stopped seizing. True? So he's seizing. What happens when you have a visual and you start praying and the visual doesn't change? What goes into immediate action? Your mind. Put yourself in those guys' shoes. Jesus is walking around. What do you want me to do? Then I might see. See. Stretch out your hand. Take your bed and walk. I am willing. Be cleansed. So many things that if they were one by one written, the world wouldn't contain the books. And the disciples are going. And it's just boom, boom, boom. Now they pray and the, he's still seizing. What do you think's going on in their heads? Man, we went out two by two and we're working miracles. I wonder why it's not working now. Wonder why he's not stopping. Wonder why he's not healed yet. Are they questions that go through your mind when you've prayed for the sick? Wow, if Jesus was here, he'd be healed by now. I wonder what we're doing. And the whole time, all their prayers are coming from that place. And it's called perverted thinking, corrupted thinking, self-conscious, human reasoning stuff that came through the fall, through Adam. That's why we need the salvation of our soul. The two places that teach, I might have to teach this in one of the classes, the salvation of our soul. It's not taught and it's not understood. Your spirit's saved, but there's a salvation of your soul very necessary. That's the redemption of your mind to get you back into truth. And the only way you find the salvation of your soul in the Bible is by not backing up, but continue believing in the face of adversity and conflict. The two places I could teach it out very easily and we might have to do that. Are you following me? Salvation of your soul. Here's what Jesus is saying. You're perverse. You're corrupting your mind because of the fall of man. But I say to you. So he says, because you're unbelief, but I say to you. Oh my goodness. Do you hear how he's qualifying that? Who is Jesus? Do you think he deserves some honor? He says, I say to you. Who's saying this? Jesus, I say to you. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, what will you do? You will say to the mountain. You're not crying out to God. You're not in despair. You're not in fear. You're carrying the kingdom. You're the body of Christ. You have faith. You recognize the mountain. How do you recognize the mountain? Because lights expose things for what it is and isn't. And you recognize the mountain isn't the will of God. If you're questioning if it's the will of God, it's not even a mountain. It might be an obstacle God put there. 
Well, God's just allowing me to go through this because He wants me to learn how to make proper decisions. And you're dying of cancer and you're saying that. I've heard it countless times, more than I could remember. Families embrace those scenarios to try to find comfort in their, scenario, in their theology and yet cry as they lose their loved one. It's just taking the power out of the church. It's wrong believing. It really is. I say to you, if you have faith, what did Jesus say? If who has faith? You. Linda, I'm not focusing on you, but you just came big on my heart. Linda, I'm not focusing on you. This is, this is, I feel like this is Jesus. He's talking to you. No matter what you've been taught in your whole life, no matter what you've felt, what you've been through, how hard you think it's been a struggle, Jesus is saying, Linda, if you have faith, you can speak to the mountain girl because I've ordained you. I've birthed you out of my own heart before time. No matter what life's brought, if you grow to the place of faith, honey, you can say to the mountain, and it will say, yes, ma'am. And Linda, nothing will be impossible for you. Now, who said that? Did I just say that to her? Or is that right here? Did that come from me or Jesus? Now, you can put all your names in there, but I heard her name highlighted it out of all you. Because he loves her. He wants to minister strength to her in some areas and get her on page in truth because she has a beautiful heart for God. You do. You have a tremendous heart for God. If you didn't, you'd have been crushed a long time ago. Absolutely. God loves you. And I, I heard when you read this to know he's talking to you. Now watch. He says nothing. And what? And what? Nothing is nothing. It doesn't say and nothing. Oh, unless of course God ordained it. Nothing will be impossible for you, Linda. However, however, sounds like a stipulation. A proviso, fine print. However, this kind, this kind what? This kind of unbelief, this kind of not seeing won't come out of your life. This kind of corrupt thinking, perverse thinking won't come out of your life unless you continue to stay encouraged and move forward in the place of prayer and seeking God through prayer and fasting to where you see Him and become one with Him so you can see through Him and make sense of things. Oh, that's so powerful. Did Jesus say nothing will be impossible? I could take you through scripture after scripture right now and, and we could take another hour, I promise, and I could just keep paging scripture after scripture that are unlimited. Mark 11 says, have faith in God. It doesn't say have faith in your faith and it doesn't say have faith in your prayer. Have faith in God. How do you have faith in God if you don't know who God is? Have faith in God. For whosoever says believing shall have whatsoever they ask. Whosoever, whatsoever. Show me a limitation there. The language is on purpose. Whosoever, whatsoever. You get it? Oh. And it's just promise after promise. Matthew 21, 22. All things whatsoever, all things. Do you hear how inclusive that is? All things whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing, not needing. Believing shall be what? 
shall be done. Isn't that amazing? We're trying to get the more people to pray, the better. Because we're elevating the problem and making it so huge. We've got to get the more people praying. My Bible says if two, if just two, if two just touch and agree, touching anything that they ask according to God's will, done. You get it? Why don't we stand to our feet just in honor of God and we'll just pray. I didn't get to uh, Jen's question from Korea. Uh, but we can. We'll get it. We'll get it. We'll get it. Are we still on? Are we still on? Let me just do this real quick. I can do this quick. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm trying. I'm trying to do Jen. Sorry. I, I don't have grace, the Lord. I was trying. I was going to. The Lord's telling me to shut down here. So we'll get your question. It's important. It's about the chastening of the Lord. I'll just let you know clearly. Chastening of the Lord has to do with correction, rebuke, scourging. It's the same process that you father and mother with. If you found your child touching something they weren't supposed to touch, would you chop off their fingers with a butcher knife? Would that be child abuse? Would you go to jail? Why do you think God is breaking legs if somebody's off track? If your child went where you told them not to go and you said, I'll teach you, and you snapped their leg, you would lose your child and go to jail, and rightly so. It would be child abuse, and yet we'll turn around and make God a child abuser in our theology so people can't receive His love. And it's a demonic trap on the earth to paint a wrong picture of God so people are confused and can't approach Him because He's the one that broke my leg. He's the one that put me in the body cast and wrecked the car to get my attention. Oh, He can get your attention through that. God did not take His big finger and flip your little car. Sometimes we're reaping what we've sown. Sometimes grace just pulls back and lets us go because he's trying to restrain and we just, and all of a sudden he lets some things work out and you, all of a sudden you have to face the reality of your heart and your life. There's scourging in that. There's correcting. If you look in the context of Hebrews 12, it has to do strongly with persecution and sin unjustly against you. Sometimes God lets that take place and lets you walk out character. But don't you for a second, church, think that God uses the things he paid to get off of us through Christ Jesus to turn around and put them back on you to teach you a lesson. If you treated your kids the way we say God treats us, well, he's schizo and we ought to lock him up if we could. Or he certainly needs a better parenting program. God did not beat his son beyond description on a cross to raise you up and give you back identity to turn around and mar you. Don't you dare believe it. Amen? Amen. Father, we honor you. We stand in your presence. We worship you. And Father, we just ask you to continue to build an honor for the word in us and teach us and let the word come alive. And please, God, help us, Father, from being presumptuous and quick to speak and and quick to anger and, and not quick to listen. You said that any man or woman of God should be slow to anger and slow to speak and very quick to listen. Father, if we listen in the secret, we'll have something for the housetops. God, teach us to listen in the secret and proclaim truth through our lives. Let every heart be encouraged. Let strength come into every person's heart. In the name of Jesus. Amen? <coughs> Love you guys. You guys are awesome. Thank you. Bless you. I just want to say one thing. I'm still